Hey Blenders, on this week's show we're talking about the theatrical windows narrowing, Jennifer Hudson's respect is hitting theaters, and we give you our thoughts, and director Sean Levy joins the show to talk about his new film starring Ryan Reynolds, Free Guy. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, Blenders, and welcome, welcome to episode number 177 of Real Blend, a podcast that believes two things. Die Hard is a Christmas movie, and Don't Breathe is a Thanksgiving movie. <laughs> My name is Sean O'Connell, the managing editor here at Cinema Blend, uh, joined as always. Oh, let me do this week's show. I'm sorry. The theatrical windows are going to be narrowing 45 days uh, with a major studio and a major theater chain. We'll explain what that means. Jennifer Hudson's new film, Respect, is going to be hitting theaters. And director Sean Levy is going to be joining us to talk Free Guy. And by us, I mean Kevin McCarthy, Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Hi, Kev. Sean, good to see you. Gabriel, good to see you. I know you're going to interview, introduce Gabe here shortly, but I'm very, very excited about our Sean Levy interview. I think people are going to be really excited. I had a Real Blend fan reach out to me on Instagram a couple of weeks ago asking if we were going to have him on, and I'm like, yes, we're going to have him on. His name is Morgan Brown, is the Real Blend uh, listener who reached out to me, and so shout out to him, and here's the episode you're going to have Sean Levy on, so awesome. enjoy. In the third chair uh, is Gabe Kobach. Hi, Gabe. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I, I'm filling in for old Jake because he is uh, he's on assignment at a pretty sweet assignment, actually. Also, you yeah. are uh, tanned, rested and ready from your vacation. I am. So. Yeah. Yeah. So if I miss a <laughs> That's step. That's a really good combination of words. It is. It yeah. is good. <laughs> you want to be at least one of all of those things. Uh, we'll talk about Jake's <laughs> assignment later because I think he's doing a video clip for us. Yes. Uh, from where he is. Did he get that to you already? No, he hasn't, but he should. So. Okay. All right. Well, let's get to some housekeeping real fast before we dive into this week's show, which is really, really busy. If you're watching us on YouTube, hello. Thank you for joining us. You guys can tune into a visual element of the show every single week. While you're here, hit subscribe and turn on your notifications. So as soon as Gabe gets the video posted to YouTube, you guys can figure out um, 
when to come over and watch the show. For our audio listeners, uh, if you want to join us in video form, go to youtube.com backslash Podcast. Uh, of course, we are available every place that you get your audio podcast needs met. And we want you guys to know that we have the premium show, uh, which we promote every single week. And this week in particular, uh, we did a segment that we normally do on the main show, but we kind of just ran out of time because we usually do it around the time that we sat down and spoke with Quentin Tarantino instead. And that is the best of the year so far. So on this uh, most recent premium episode, uh, Jake and Kevin and myself all picked the, our top three favorite movies so far. Not in any kind of order. Um, I think Kevin and I did an order. Jake wanted to do an alphabetical. Because Jake he's, went alphabetical, yeah, yes. Yeah. He's very, uh, he takes his list very, very seriously. So, um, and then I, I, you know, I picked up a couple of great recommendations based on what we were talking about. There's definitely some films that I uh, want to dive deeper into, including one that we're going to talk about in this week in movies. So if you want to get the premium, it's cinemablend.com backslash realblendpremium. Make sure you check that out. What's up, Kev? Sean, uh, can you rewind a couple sentences and just kind of repeat what you just said again? Because you essentially said we couldn't do a segment on our <laughs> yeah. show right, right. because we were too busy talking to Quentin oh, Tarantino okay. yeah. in Los Angeles at his movie theater. We so we And Sean was referring to the idea that we normally do a mid-year best of. Uh, yes. And a funny story about that is the first time we ever interviewed Quentin Tarantino, we've said this before, when he walked in the room, this was uh, for the first interview we did with him for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, he walked in the room rehashing lines from our mid-year best of movies. And that one happened to be Spider-Man Far From Home. Uh, and it was really cool to get his perspective on that. So it's kind of been like a mid-year thing for the show. But this time, as Sean mentioned, we were too busy with Quentin Tarantino to have done that on the real show. So. That's First just interview to, we just got with to him. Make sure you reiterated that. <laughs> the first one we got with him was only twenty minutes, though. That's like a blip on the radar. I hate to even say that. That's kind of crazy, yeah. Because the other ones have been over two hours now at this point. Well, the other so. ones are like you get you get a half hour in, and then they really start getting good, kind of kind <laughs> yes, of vibes, <laughs> exactly. Which is kind of how I feel about yeah. everybody that we get. I wish we had that amount of time with all the people, sure, especially yeah. Sean Levy this week. You'll see. Maybe so. someday. Yeah, uh, we're gonna. Sean have a Levy's party. an amazing interview. He is. It's really great. Um, let's get to him in a minute. We're having a watch party. I want everybody to know about this. On Monday, August 30th at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, uh, the Roblin guys, in addition to a bunch of people from over at Cinema Blend, are going to be doing a live tweet watch of uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, the very first Indiana Jones film. Some would argue the best Indiana Jones film. You can play along using hashtag Cinema Blend Movie Club. Uh, we'll continue to plug that on our socials and get people excited to watch uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark with us. And finally, uh, last item before we dive into the show proper, uh, we dropped a bonus episode a little bit earlier this week, which you guys can find on um, YouTube or also wherever you get your audio podcast needs met. It is the creative team behind Don't Breathe 2, which we're going to review a little bit later on in the show. It's Fede Alvarez, the producer, and then his director and co-writer, uh, Rodo Sayagüez, and uh, they were terrific, gave a really great interview. Yeah. And you can see that separately. That one kind of went off the rails a little bit, like right off the bat. <laughs> in a great um, way. Yeah. yeah, in a really yeah, good we, way. <laughs> we earned our E on that one. So if you ever see like an E, an E next to our podcast, that means it's explicit. And this one's yeah. like E squared or E cubed. I think it's a, it's a good example of uh, when we get the, they were fantastic. But when we get um, people in the middle of a junket day or towards the end of a yeah. junket day, there's like a level of, um, you know, they're just kind of exhausted or whatever, like some sort of wall comes down. They're much more kind of playful or yeah. excitable or, you yeah. know, kind of having fun whenever we bring that energy. 
and so I think that's that's uh that's a lot what this one felt like it was it was a lot of fun for a tease uh just anybody who's listening to this now um there is a moment in that interview I think it's after the first question uh, or second question where uh Fide Alvarez essentially says something that just kind of like took us all off oh. guard like like <laughs> like just drop this like massive line i mean it's a famous it's a famous quote from the exorcist yeah. but i will tell you that it was it, it all took us off guard because we don't normally hear that in an interview yeah uh, normally someone would uh, edit themselves but uh he was just went all out so the interview from that point was, forward is just f-bomb 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 it's, 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 was, it's awesome he was uncensored so you guys can find that again <laughs> he didn't on... breathe he didn't breathe he just kept cursing <laughs> okay. all right uh let's get to the weekly poll um and this one i'm gonna have to throw to kevin because i oh, Sean, uh, sorry before we get to the weekly poll i don't yes, think i mentioned keep an eye out this weekend on the youtube channel uh for a spoiler oh, clip from you. that interview uh, it didn't make the episode that already went up um it's just a bit of spoilers so we're saving that for after the movie comes out mm-hmm. um so just keep an eye that'll only be on our youtube channel uh check the description for how to find us if you're on youtube just subscribe stay tuned here and it'll it should pop up over the weekend uh a fun little clip about the film so the weekly poll that we asked um, had to do with the fact that last week after we recorded, uh, Disney has this Galaxy Star Cruiser hotel experience. Um, it is a two-night, three-day immersive Star Wars experience where you essentially uh, will pretend will pretend uh, in live action. Gabe, you don't know anything about this? Have you heard anything at all about this? Not really, no. Okay, so they're building a hotel, but they're building it to look like a Star Cruiser ship. And you will, as part of your um, experience, you will board the Star Cruiser through a portal where they'll make it seem like you are, you know, getting transported onto a ship. And then for the course of two nights and three days, everyone around you is basically going to be role playing as Star Wars. Like you can kind of go on adventures, but it's very open ended. Like things that you do will change your story uh, all the way throughout and the cast members obviously have to play along and and you might get pulled into an adventure like they might have to do some some spy work or kind of thing um and it, you're right it all sounds terrific but um the cost dropped over the weekends or recently and the minimum to participate uh in this experience is four thousand eight hundred and nine dollars for two nights nope uh two nights yeah oh my god Yes, Am I a Jedi days. at the end of this? Do I have that powers? Is, nope, you do not. <laughs> okay. you, get, you get nothing. Uh, so I asked if, uh, and Kevin, you'll have to answer this, if our resident Star Wars geek, uh, Jake Hamilton, would pay, is he going to pay to book passage on the Galactic Star Cruiser? Now, we have to keep in mind, Jake is, you know, a Star Wars fanatic. Like, you imagine any kind of world that you adore, and they're telling you that, like, you get to step inside of it. Is this something where you say, like, it's a once in a lifetime thing. I'm going to I understand the price, but I got to chuck it, you know, because I have to do this. So the choice is, Kev, for you. And remember, people are answering on behalf of, J- of Jake uh, is, oh, definitely uh, or probably not. And where do you think the people went? No question. It's probably not. Uh, I know Jake well enough to know he wouldn't drop that kind of cash <laughs> on something like that. And it's nothing to do with the fact that he's not interested in doing it and not a fan of it mm. it's just it's an a absurd lot of money. price i mean it, yeah. yeah i mean like i'm trying to think of what i would spend that money on let me tell yeah, you like, this okay uh, even like a term like a terminator no, no. 2 or like an interstellar <laughs> a cruise a cruise um that's okay. that's going to show all the christopher nolan movies and you get time <laughs> to sit down with nolan uh, after each movie and discuss them 
Dude, I would pay five grand to do that. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's, yeah. Exactly. that's the point. Now, <laughs> let me clarify a couple things. Cruises are relatively expensive, anyways. Like, sure. Like I go on a lot of cruises, so you're already dropping two over two thousand dollars when you go on a cruise, anyways. Yes. Now, but they're all inclusive. I'm not saying you get everything, like your food and your drink and all that jazz. Right. Oh, is this not all inclusive? And I'm not, Oh, I don't think so. <laughs> no, it's not. No. So I'm buying, I'm still paying for my blue milk or whatever. That's the room, that's the room <laughs> cost, essentially, the, to right. get into the room. Jesus. Yes. Well, well Sean, here's the Sean thing. I have I... a pitch. I have a pitch. Did okay. we answer the poll for the audience at home, by the way? Well, 70% of the people I, in the poll I, said, probably not. said definitely. No, 70% said Jake Hamilton <laughs> will think, definitely do They this. think Jake is more uh, loose with his wallet than I think they realize. <laughs> yeah. And, and I do want to clarify, I would I don't have $5,000 to drop, but if if I was offered you would a make cruise it happen. with Christopher Nolan, I would make yeah, that happen, yeah. only because it would be like a once-in-a-lifetime that's experience. A, but, that's a credit card statement yeah. you're willing to explain to Laura. I have heard yes. you say yeah. that if you hadn't, if we hadn't had all these experiences with Tarantino and that you had an opportunity to meet Quentin Tarantino. I'm not even talking about a two day, a two night, three day thing. Like if that was just to go and have him sign something of yours and you get, yeah. to, meet, get to meet him and have a quick conversation, you said you would have dropped coin in order to do that. Well, you know, the night we were at the event in LA uh, at the new Beverly, like I remember walking into that theater and us going up to the stage to, to test our mics and sound check. And I had, I genuinely had this moment where I said to myself, okay, if I didn't have this job and I've never met Quentin Tarantino, I wasn't hosting a, a co-hosting a podcast and interviewing him. And I saw this event online. Yeah. I would have 100% bought a plane ticket, paid for a hotel, got a ticket to the show just to walk up to him yeah. Yeah. and tell him how much he means to me and then get him to sign something. And I spent the entire night at the end, after we were done with everything, watching each and every single fan walk up. And I thought to myself, I would have paid all the money in the world <laughs> just to have that moment. One, to sit there, watch him get live interviewed. Two, to watch him read from the book. That was right. cool. I mean, that's priceless. It's a, um, great, so, it's a yes. great time for us to yeah. plug. Go check that out if you haven't. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Sean, yes. I, will, I will pitch this. I'll mention. I mean, we host a fairly popular podcast. Um, Arguably. Which is run by a very popular website. Yes, Indeed. I mean, let's see if we can get a sponsor oh. or two <laughs> to send the real Blend you, Boys for a couple nights. We'll yeah. shoot the to whole Star thing. Star Wars? Brought to you by Coca-Cola. That's a good idea. 4,800 times four. I can't do the math in my head. Hey, that's that's sponsorship so, money. You know, that's, for Coca, that's for Coca-Cola to figure out. <laughs> Wait, Sean, just yeah. don't go to Shake Shack for a month and you can afford oh, it. True. Yeah, that's true. They're raising and, those prices. <laughs> just, yeah, man, just drop the, the Shake Shack. <laughs> It's hard to do. It's very hard to do. All right, let's get to our interview. It's twenty five dollars for a French fry there, because <laughs> we're all really proud of this week's interview. Uh, this is director Sean Levy, um, who people know from the Night at the Museum franchise, and he did Real Steel, uh, and now he is doing Free Guy, uh, of which you'll learn later in the show uh, is one of Kevin's very favorite films of this year. So he was super geeked out to get him. We were all geeked out to get him. And uh, I think you guys are really going to enjoy this conversation. We get really technical, but we also break down the important stuff about the movie. It's spoiler free. So you can go into this uh, having not seen the movie. So um, let's dive right in. Sean Levy on Real Blunt. 
right. right. Well, first of all, thank you so much for joining us. We are a filmmaker driven podcast. We love talking about filmmaking and cameras and lenses. So we want to dive into some technical stuff with you as well. Um, I brought this up to you earlier in the the television uh, press day, but I want to dive deeper into the opening one of this film. It's truly one of the most immersive oneers and uh, immersive openings I've seen in a film in a long time because you start off high and we go down to the street and it's a really you're entering the world and like then you're in it the entire time. And then the pacing is gorgeous and beautiful throughout the rest of it. So I was curious in terms of production, how you pull off that one or how important that shot was to you, how much time it took, because it's incredible. Well, so thank you. First of all, the, I always knew that I wanted I wanted to start with a jab right out of the gate, right? I mean, so many of my favorite filmmakers, they open strong and then you stick to landing. That is so kind of everything in filmmaking. And so I wanted to see if I could introduce Free City and the almost absurdist mayhem of it in a single shot. That shot, those opening, whatever it is, 60 seconds, if that, that was months and we had more meetings about that 60 seconds than anything else in the entire movie because that was a combination of digital effects, practical effects, stunts, movie star cameos, and it all had to work in perfect sync. So uh, we, we literally, sometimes you start with the storyboard and then you go to previs, which is a moving computer rendering of the shot with a shot that is so motion dependent as is the one or we went straight to previs. I would describe the beats and how I wanted one thing to flow into the next, flow into the next. There's also dialogue involved. Um, so we, we prevised it and I think we probably did, I mean, at least a dozen different versions of the previs. And then you literally, we would just have mind numbing meetings going, okay, Okay, where does it become practical? Okay, so what do we need for the real car to do? How do we put the famous actor who's in the opening sequence in that car? Oh, that's a separate shoot. So I'm shooting, stunt unit is shooting this blue Bugatti in the streets of Boston. (laughs) I'm gonna stitch it with, in some cases, a digital Bugatti speeding through the streets of Boston. But then I need to put this actor and this actress in the car and that's a separate shoot with a motion control camera moving around a non-driving vehicle to make it look like it's a moving car. So the complexity is, it, it was relentless. Huge shout out to Swen Gilberg, who's my VFX supervisor. And Swen, I had worked with Swen. He was like the lieutenant on Real Steel. And just for, since you're a film-centric podcast, I'll just share like, There is such a lesson, guys, in whatever you're doing, do it as exceptionally as you can. I got my first movie, which was Big Fat Liar, because those producers remembered an episode of a Nickelodeon show called Cousin Skeeter that I had done way earlier. Wow. Swen was the lieutenant. He wasn't a supervisor on Real Steel, but he was always this guy, this quiet figure. I was like, Who's this Swen? He feels like he knows what he's doing and he's been like the number three or the number two on Avengers and Endgame and a lot of Marvel, but he never got the shot. He never got the title and the chair. So on, on, on Free Guy, I was like, I, this guy's ready. This guy's ready. And so I hired Swen to be the supervisor and he was everything. It was like one of those things where, oh, that guy's always been a superstar. He just needed his moment. And Free Guy is that moment. And the VFX, I think you'll agree in this movie, are as good as any I've seen in anything. That's what a amazing. story. 
That's, <laughs> That's awesome. fantastic. Um, you know, sort of building off of that, over the years, I think video games have become increasingly cinematic. Uh, a lot of times the cutscenes in between the time when you get to uh, play yourself are equally compelling and you sort of follow it. So I'm just curious if you appreciate the actual directing that goes into video games and did you try to work any of those uh, type of techniques into Free Guy? Yeah, I mean, I think it's fascinating how cinema and gaming have cross-pollinated, right? Video game design has become more cinematic. Movie action sequences have a higher bar to meet because of the choreography and camera work that video games are able to do. So I do feel that both gaming and film have pushed each other to higher thresholds of excellence and expectation. Um, as is known, I spent, I think, a year, maybe more, uh, on Uncharted, developing a completely new approach to Uncharted. And so I really got in the weeds of that game in particular, and it's such a cinematic game mm -hmm. with characters and cutscenes that are as important as the gameplay. And I do feel like all of that informed my approach to this movie where I really wanted two very different visual styles. And if you want to take a deeper dive, I'm happy to, but sure. I wanted the video game world of Free City to feel like an augmented, heightened, poppier game reality mm -hmm. that also looked photo real. And then I needed the real world where Taiko Waititi's character and Joe Kiri and Utkarsh and Budkar exist that look completely different. So we literally, I've never done this quite to this extent where before we shot, we created rigorous rules about here's the game, here's real life, mm. colors, camera, composition, camera works, all of it were like divided in the middle and we followed our own rigorous rules throughout. Oh, that's amazing. Wow. It's so wow. cool. It works. You can tell the visual styles. Because yeah. the, the, I remember the studio was always like, well, there's going to be viewer confusion. You got to be prepared for viewer confusion because, you know, you're going back and forth and you're not using, it's not like I'm saying like, now we're in Free City. Meanwhile, back in the real world, none of that lame, you know, like subtitle stuff. So I needed the visual language to be very clear. And mm -hmm. it meant like, I'll just, I, you know, I can give you a few examples. Like Free City is poppy, saturated, warm colors. The real world is grays, blacks, and blues. Free yeah, City yeah. was shot on an RE large format 65 with Sphero lenses with tremendous depth of field, clean compositions, whereas the real world was on a completely different camera on anamorphic lenses, largely handheld, through a lot of foreground, messier camera work, so that you always know which world you're in because of the visual differentiation. That's awesome. I remember Spielberg did something similar on Ready Player One, where I think Kaminsky shot 35 in the real world and then digital, obviously, within the game. And then when you would go in and out, it was like a jarring thing. Like the, the, the worlds were so different. So I, I love that you play with that. Jake, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, no. Uh, Sean, I, without revealing who they are, obviously, I want to touch on, on some of the cameos in this film. And just from a director's perspective, how one goes about setting those up is it the equivalent of like a buddy calling me and asking me to help him move and being like dude i'll a give you like pizza and a beer is it a, thou <laughs> a thousand percent i mean yes except if your buddy was one of the biggest movie stars uh the truth <laughs> is that as ryan has said even though like hollywood is this absurd over the top kind of industry it's also still a community and it's a community of people who all do similarly creative jobs and so every cameo in the movie was a result of a phone call or a text and just 
asking for a favor. <laughs> and it led to a lot of yes. I need better friends. Like if, 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 that's, all do. if that's who you're calling. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like Sean, I just I, want that contact list. Yeah. <laughs> Sean, I was always curious about this. Um, in terms of Stranger Things, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, you've directed episode three and four for every season. Just those two episodes. And I was wondering why, why is it so random? Yeah. Um, so it started off in season one, in season one, it was out of necessity. The brothers, I mean, again, nobody knew what we were doing. I had never produced television. The boys were like these 31 year old twins with like the greatest script that I've ever read. And so we just, and Netflix said yes. And the initial plan was that the brothers were gonna direct all of them. And as we were making episodes one and two, it became clear like, oh no, we don't have the other scripts finished. So I basically said, okay, I'll go to Atlanta. I'll do three and four just to buy you time to go write episodes six, seven, and eight, or whatever mm. it was. So season one, it was that necessity. Little did I know I would be lucking into some of the most iconic moments in television history with the Christmas lights, with the Demogorgon coming through the wall, with the <laughs> lights R-U-N run. Like episode three and four, man, they're always that flexion point between setting up the characters and shit going nuts. And so season one, I literally just did it. Okay, brothers, I'll be the big brother. Go back to the writing hole, I'll do it. And then season one hit the way it did. And the brothers and I just kind of said, all right, well, you know what? Change nothing. Like we're just superstitious enough. That's funny. To not want to mess with fate. And that's why I always direct three and four in every season, including the one uh, that's upcoming. Oh, wow. That's pretty great. Um, Sean, I want to transition to this because I have two teenage boys. They're 17 and 13, and um, they have a, a great mix uh, of in-person hangouts, but they also rely on online games and platforms um, to be social. And so watching Free Guy, you know, that was one of the things that I took away from it is, is you know, this free city and places where people can interact. And I'm wondering what working on this film sort of taught you about the interactivity of games like this and if your opinion on them has changed after being immersed in the material. Actually, yes, and, and you really are touching on, on the main epiphany that I had, the main thing I learned and did not anticipate about gaming, which is, you know, I think that I used to think of it as isolationist, mm -hmm. right? That it's people sitting alone in their homes, living out an adventure through avatars in this kind of aspirational other reality. And it is that, right? Everything I just said remains true. But what I did not factor in, and I think has evolved more and more and more, and obviously explosively uh, evolved during the pandemic, is the communities that exist in game mm -hmm. among individuals who can be in different parts of the world, sharing no similarities in their real lives, but who connect when they're playing a game together. And so mm. I think that the realization for me was the social and connective value of gaming. I did not realize it was that profound. And as such, I did not realize it was that important to so many people. And I now know better. It's awesome. Wow. Wow. Sean, I'm going to ask this just because you guys were talking about uh, Stranger Things, so I'm going to bump up a question on my list. Um, you know, whenever I become invested in a series, I instantly start kind of going into that self-preservation worried mode where I start wondering, okay, how much further do we have to go? How much longer is this going to go? Are we closer to the end than we are to the beginning? And do you know what the end of the story is? 
I am not at liberty to answer your first question, uh, but we do know the end. It's not, yeah, to a very small number of people, we know where we're going. So there are only th- three people on this if you want to just, 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 you know. You're not going to tell anyone, right? Guys, no, if you promise not. you won't tell anyone. I promise. <laughs> and honestly, going back to this idea of the special effects in this film, I want to talk about Dude. Because um, I, I can't get over how incredible <laughs> that character looks um, and, and just the idea of what that character does. Um, could you walk us through kind of how you created what you what we're seeing on screen? I mean, I, I, it's a real bodybuilder, I believe. And then yeah, Ryan gonna, does it with facial capture. Yes, exactly. So a, lo- a lot of people have told me they assume that dude was beefed up digitally. Let me, first of all, tell you that's not true. That is Aaron Reed is a real bodybuilder who we found in Venice, California, and who is like 6'7 and that big. There is That's no there is no digital augmentation of dude's body. So <laughs> but but to really do justice to it, you know, I have to again credit Ryan in our very first meeting. We were talking about the themes and the inspirations for the movie we wanted to make. And he said he goes, oh by the way, um, since Antoine is the villain but Antoine is never really in the game and I can't really fight him. I need a formidable opponent. So what if they do an upgrade of me? What if it's me 2.0 and my name's Guy, so his name should be Dude and the movie should end with Dude versus Guy. So that was a Ryan idea before we rewrote a word of the script. That was Ryan's idea. So once we decided to do that, it was like, how do we do this? How do we do we shoot Ryan and just jack him up digitally? We ultimately found this bodybuilder, Aaron Reed, and then we in post-production. So Aaron did the whole shoot um, with dots on his face. And the advantage of that is that I'm shooting a real person in a real scene with fellow actors. That's the reason not to do it with a tennis ball or a purely digital creation. And, and Real Steel taught me that. Like if you can have something real on set for your actors, the movie's better, period. Mm. Um, then in post, so we had Aaron Reed doing the scenes. Ryan went into something called the egg. It sounds very sci-fi and it's not unlike this setup here where it is, it looks like a holographic like transporter or something. It's this metallic, enclosure and the actor sits in it and inside the enclosure are like a thousand lights and the actor in the egg then has to look at pre-programmed lights inside the egg to correspond with how the body and neck of the a-side body moved oh my god and while they're looking so literally ryan would go in it's like okay we're doing this shot and the person running the egg session goes blue, red, magenta, green. And Ryan literally has to look at blue light, red light, magenta light, green. And while he's doing that, (laughs) he is saying the dialogue and acting. So that's called the egg and it's the current kind of highest level of facial capture mocap that exists. And it looks photoreal in the movie as you saw. That's unbelievable. That is so cool. Technology is It's so is fun getting to nerd out on this stuff. No one ever wants to know about this stuff. We want oh, to know no, all you're on the perfect show. You're on the right show, man. This is all we do all day. 
Um, nice. Sean, there are definitely those scenes in the movie where uh, Ryan's character specifically has to describe food. Like in one, he's he's describing a cup of coffee. In other ones, it's the bubblegum ice cream. Uh, they strike me as scenes where Ryan probably gives you endless examples of things that you can use Actually, in the edit. no. Not true. But, oh. right, but those lines... Absolutely, 100% written by Ryan Reynolds. They're okay. so Ryan Reynolds' voice, right? Like something tastes so good, it's it's like my tongue had a baby with the sunrise. Um, you know, <laughs> I love that or one. Like, you know, where he's eating ice cream and he's like, I used to think that coffee was my favorite food, but now it tastes like liquid suffering. Uh, like <laughs> Ryan, so in Ryan's earliest dialogue punch-up of the script, he wrote those lines. And every time I watch a movie, I'm like, that is just, that is the very specific Ryan Reynolds-esque tone of comedy writing where he's so verbally astute, so verbally specific, and uh, no one can quite describe things. It's, you know, he drinks the coffee. It's like, I've lost my virginity, but in my mouth. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's a little dirty, but it's yeah. not quite yeah. rated R. It's just, it's classic Ryan. Do you have to figure out how to edit how to edit him then first comedy? Because comedy can be ruined in an edit almost. Yes, but where Ryan and I are very similar, and we produce this movie together very proactively together, like mm. on set together, rewriting together, in the edit room together, is Ryan, like me, knows that comedy is largely a rhythm thing. So mm. very often, if a joke isn't working, what I'll do is I'll literally go like this, and I don't look at the movie. And I, I go play it, play it again, Play it again. Okay, we need three more frames of silence before the fourth word. Oh, and it's wow. literally, and Ryan works that way too. It's a rhythm thing, it's music. And sometimes just the absence of air or the addition of air makes all the difference between a laugh and crickets. Yeah, sure, of course, wow. that, that's incredible. Thank you, thank you. I wish I were talented. Um, <laughs> we, we, we do too, Jake. <laughs> um, Sean, you, you have not only just worked with, with, with amazing comedy legends, but, but comedy actors who have a very uh, specific style in how they deliver, whether it's Ryan or Robin Williams or Ben Stiller, Tina Fey or Steve Carell. I'm sort of curious, as a director, what is the balance of stepping in and being a director and saying, look, this is how you need to do it. This is how you need to A to B to C to D versus knowing that like these guys know what they're doing and I just kind of need to step back and watch the magic unfurl. I have so many answers to that, but I don't want to take too much time, but there's a few aspects to it. Number one, every collaborator you just mentioned is a writer as well. So what you actually will notice if you look at my resume is I love comedic actors who are also writers. Here's why. They still riff, they improvise, you wanna let them go off leash. But if they're a writer like Steve Martin, like Ben Stiller, like Ricky Gervais, like Owen Wilson, like Tina Fey, like Steve, like everyone you mentioned, they're gonna riff, but with an awareness of story, with an awareness of, okay, but here's still the point of the scene. And so I love collaborators who are true partners and so I do give them a lot of leeway because if I just wanted human props to say scripted words, I would not hire those people. That would be asinine. So I want partnership. I know my movies are better because I'm looking for actual true collaboration. The other thing that I'll, I'll just touch on is there's this magic trick that happens on movies when they're working, where as a director, you start to be able to channel what that actor will make funny. So 
and, and, and it, you can't force it, and it's not intellectual. But even with Taika, for instance, by day three, he's doing a scene, and now I have his voice in my head, and I'm able to throw out joke suggestions from behind the camera that I know will work in his voice. It's not funny if I say it. It wouldn't be funny if Ryan Reynolds said it. It's specific to that performer. And the same thing has happened with Ryan. And what's fun about a movie like this is you're flowing with Taika, you're flowing with Ryan, you're flowing with Utkarsh, right? And it's very different voices. But the fun of directing is you get to speak with all of them. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's awesome. You know, as I sat down in the theater yesterday, well, one, this is, this is a phenomenal theatrical experience, and I'm so happy that it's only going to be released in theaters. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, and at the beginning of the, uh, of the film, Ryan comes on screen and has that message to the audience. And so it just kind of reminded me of how much fun the theatrical experience really is. I know we've been home a lot over the past year, year and a half or so. And seeing films in a theater with the communal experience is, is everything. Uh, and I was wondering, uh, throughout your career, even younger, when you were growing up, do you have a favorite theatrical experience that comes to mind, like, like the ultimate one where the movie itself was made better because of being in a theater? Every movie is made better <laughs> for being experienced yep, yep. collectively. So like Ryan and my current new movie is for Netflix, but make no mistake, man, this is my job. I want it experienced as big, loud, and communally as possible. It's better. This is why I do it. That's number one, especially comedy, right? Where the laughs become a living, breathing organism. Um, but for me, the two that come to mind, very different. One is like, I saw Jedi 10, 12 times in the, what is that, 82? I don't remember, but like, wow. and literally, you know, that scene where like Luke is hiding and Vader, or like it's the emperor going like, perhaps if you won't turn to the dark side, your sister will, right? And fucking Luke comes out of the, ah, and they go into that goddamn, you know, towards the set. Like every time the audience is like, yes, fuck yes. Like that feeling, that feeling is the best feeling. And conversely, the other one that comes to mind is when I was in college, I went to a screening of Gallipoli by Peter Weir. And that, the last four minutes of Gallipoli is masterful, deeply, deeply moving. And I sat there just shattered. And so, and, and it was a pin drop in that theater after. And the fact that something made up on a screen can have that effect on us humans, sitting in a dark room among strangers, that is a remarkable thing. And it's a beautiful thing, in my opinion. Very Sean, great. did you have to fight to not have this on Disney Plus on a day and date? I know that I know this is 20th Century Studios versus Disney, but I know Disney's putting it out in that in that regard. But the fact that this is exclusively in theaters is a big deal. And I wonder, did you have to fight to not have the day and date on Disney? No, Plus? it was always. I mean, to be honest, I don't even know the uh, details of the like 20th Century Fox Disney deal. But no, I was lucky because. Disney bought Fox, we made the movie. Disney came to our test screenings. So the top brass of Disney was there in a theater when we tested this movie. And this movie, when it is played for a movie theater of strangers, it is raucous. It's huge laughs, it's emotion, it's cheers. And so they felt what this movie has in its DNA. And uh, they always, there was never a conversation about not waiting and preserving that Good. audience theatrical experience.
That's the best thing I've heard in a long time. This is definitely a theatrical experience for sure. No question. Um, Sean, this man's uh, appearance is in the marketing, so I wanted to ask you about it. Did you get a chance to direct Alex Trebek? I didn't get a chance to, uh, to direct Alec. We sent a... We sent a small crew, we used his show's equipment, and, but again, that was an example where we're sitting in the editing room, and Ryan and I were like, okay, we need to make Blue Shirt Guy famous. We need to tell the audience that Blue Shirt Guy is becoming a global phenomenon. How can we do that? And we came up with a lot of new ideas, and we literally went and shot them while we were editing. And one of them was the Jeopardy idea, because if you're a Jeopardy answer, you're a cultural phenomenon, right? Sure. And it was a matter of Ryan just calling and asking. And again, it's what we said. It's like Ryan's attitude, and I share it, is let's just ask. The other person can always say no. Sure. And uh, he very graciously said yes, and now it's a part of our movie and and his legacy forever, which is really meaningful to us. Yeah, that's cool. Wow, that's a, uh, Sean, about 20 years ago, or almost 20 years ago or so, you directed an episode of a show called Birds of Prey. And, and at that time, I feel like the average person on the street didn't really know who Harley Quinn was or didn't know who Canary was. And, and over the last five, six years or so, because of the films, they've become much more popular and kind of in mainstream. In fact, Suicide Squad's out this weekend. I'm sort of curious, what what that like? What is that like for you as a storyteller to sort of see these characters who you got to play in their sandbox 20 years ago all of a sudden blow up and become these big pop culture phenomenons? Yeah, it's, it is just a weird thing when you've been in this business uh, doing this job for a while and seeing the evolution and the way that things catch a wave and kind of come to the forefront of culture the way something that was supposed to be, I mean, listen, talk to Ryan about Green Lantern, talk to, you know, a lot of, like, people always think they know what's gonna break, what's gonna be a thing, but the truth is, like, culture has this ebb and flow, and it is really interesting that something that was an obscure, marginalized title and set of characters is now so much kind of in the forefront, and things that were targeted as phenomenon, juggernaut, gonna be huge, were just like, poof, oh, we're not doing that? You know, like, it's very interesting how, like, you can never quite predict it, and you certainly can't control it. So I now kind of, I enjoy just watching it as a spectator because it's constantly evolving and, and shifting. That's awesome. You know, Sean, I was fascinated by this. I don't know if this is a ridiculous question to ask, but the, the, the wake-ups that the, that guy has in the film are very important in terms of, like, character arc and things like that. Like, when he wakes up, that whatever's the look on his face is that day is kind of where he is as a character in the arc. Did you shoot all those wake-ups on, like, one day and just <laughs> tell, like, Ryan, all right, Ryan, you're waking up here. This is what's happening here. I mean, is it that simple? Yes, that's exactly what it is. So we... We built that set. I think it's, an, I, like all the sets, I think it's such clever, witty design by Ethan Tobman. And uh, we would shoot him waking up and then it would be ridiculous and time-wasting to move the camera. But, so we just set up right there on the same kind of wide-angle lens where he comes forward into this big, <laughs> happy-go-lucky. But then I would cut and i go, okay, now we're doing scene 72. You've been killed by the train repeatedly <laughs> and you want today to be different roll camera action and Ryan would just give me a different performance and uh, and I would just give him enough words to situate him in the overall arc so he would know which version of guy he should be playing um, we are going to run out of time and, and I want to emphasize this has been a really tough interview to prep for because there's so many surprises in your movie and we really want to preserve them for the audience thank you 
Um, and so we've danced around a lot, but I, I can't um, let you go without you singing the praises of, of Jody, who's just fantastic. Um, you know, thank you. I thought you were going to Eve. Oh, I'm sorry. What did you think I was? No, no. Ask? I thought you were going to ask me about cameos that I don't want to talk about. So thank uh, you for not. <laughs> no, I want to praise Jody, who just who just blew me away because I know her from Killing Eve, and you know it's it's such a different side of her and and shows her versatility. So if you could just I praise knew her from her Killing Eve. Thank you. I share I share your. Um, admiration of her talent and literally i knew her from killing eve i made ryan watch an episode of killing eve because he w didn't know her work then and then we i must have read about 60 actresses many of whom were more famous than jodie comer for this role which is basically as big a part as ryan's right because she exists yes. in both worlds and we came down to five actresses and we brought them all to a final callback with Ryan, who would read with them, and me in the room. And everyone did really well. And as I said, Jody was by far the least namey candidate. But within three sentences, Ryan is doing the reading. He's reading with Jody. And he turns to me, he's like, Here, I'm gonna, I'm gonna reenact it for you. It was like this. It was like, his back, like, you're me, I'm Ryan. And Ryan goes like this. <laughs> and that's literally we knew like and then afterwards she left through and we're like what are we i feel like i'm looking at meryl streep and kramer versus kramer like a revelation uh and that someday we're gonna proudly say oh you know that multi-oscar winner jody comer we gave her her first movie you gotta tell bad for the next as a producer actress. Well, as a producer, that ruined your negotiating tactics if he makes that reaction right in front of I her. I know, he wasn't very subtle, but I'm also not subtle, so I'm constantly undermining my own negotiating strength. Well, we um, are out of time and we have to wrap, but honestly, Sean, this is, when we were told we were getting time with you, we were all blown away. Um, it's a thrill to have you on our show, and uh, thank you very much for taking the Guys, time. Guys, I'm so excited to listen to your show now that I know you get into the weeds of all the nitty-gritty, and, you know, uh, I find all of it fascinating to talk about, to listen about, to hear other people's approaches to how the work is made. Because of course, movies don't just appear out of thin air. They get the, the result of a lot of decisions and a lot of people's hard work. So thanks for unpacking all of it. Three, two, one. <laughs> Three, right, two, wanna... one. <laughs> Sorry. Jesus Sorry. Christ. Sorry. Leave that in. Right. <laughs> uh, we want to thank Disney very much for giving us time with Sean Levy. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed our spoiler-free guy conversation with him. <laughs> See, it didn't work. Because <laughs> 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 we already knew. <laughs> um, go see uh, Free Guy when it comes to theaters. We will talk about it uh, later on in our now in theaters. Oh, Kev, I want to ask you the one question about this because I've seen this being circulated around as a rumor, not that it's going to happen. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. 
If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. But people seem very convinced that Sean Levy will direct Deadpool 3. Do you think that's Honestly, a- and that's... The- that's the question I wish we asked him um, in the interview, because like, I kept thinking, like, after I saw Free Guy, I was like, okay, who's going to direct Deadpool 3? I think it's going to come down to two people. I think mm-hmm. Taika could step in and do it, because mm-hmm. I think Taika and Ryan Reynolds love each other in terms of just from a performance perspective and an acting perspective, but also Ryan's obsessed with Taika as a filmmaker. I mean, he, I think there was, what was the film, the uh, Wilder... Um, Hunt for the Wilder Blank. People. Hunt for the Wilder right. People. That's the, the film that... Beautiful. That was like Ryan's favorite film, apparently, that year. And so, and then he obviously cast, Taika... He cast the kid in Deadpool 2? Oh, I right. That's exactly. Yeah. 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 Right, Julian, Julian Dennison. Dennison. Yes, yeah. thank you. Hey, yeah. there we go. Team, teamwork we go. here. Teamwork. But yeah, so then that, that's obviously... And I would believe, I would argue that's why Julian ended up in Deadpool 2. But I mean, obviously, with Taika being in Free Guy... Uh, it's an interesting question. I think Sean Levy might be, I don't know who would be a better choice for that. I mean, I wonder if, is Taika's, do you think Taika could do a good job at Deadpool 3 or do you think Sean would be a better director for that? Here's the thing. If you, you don't like Taika's humor, so I think that well, he will, he'll Deadpool, go. I, I, I'm on the, I'm Deadpool's on the humor is kind of established though, right? It is. And I think a lot of it's driven by, by Ryan Reynolds, you yeah. know? He's clearly writing for him. He's maintained the voice of Deadpool through two different directors up to this point. Um, was right. it Tim Miller and then David Leach? The two guys. Who David directed? Leach. Yeah, yeah. I, so. I think Sean's a good choice. Don't get me wrong. I think Sean Levy would be a great choice. I just think I I, I can't help but think that he uh, that he would either go with him or Taika. Those are the two that I could see him pulling in. I would, would love d- to have asked Sean Levy. He, he probably would have just given us a, a very political, uh, politically correct answer, I guess, in I'm terms sure. of like, you know. Is, um, uh, is David Leach like firm? He doesn't, he's not going to return? They haven't said, or is it possible? I'm not sure. I, yeah, but I mean, to the point, it's the movie hasn't even really been, you know, I, I know they're kicking around ideas or yeah. working on scripts and things like that. So I'm not sure they're put to the point of director. My only concern would be the Sean Levy. I don't, I don't know if Sean Levy has an R-rated movie on his resume, you know. It's um, a great question. Yeah, and does Taika? Well, what was Wilder no, people rated? Uh, no, but I think he has the 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 capability of going to sure. an R faster sure, sure. than the guy who did Real Steel. You know, and I mean yeah. no disrespect, Sean Levy keeps it at PG thirteen, and his movies do well because of that. Yeah, he's but, he's directed um, a lot of Stranger Things, right? Was he there yes. for all three seasons so far? Yeah, yeah, yes. and that's technically R rated. Yeah, so he did episodes three and four of every season, which he tells us in the interview if you if you heard it already, where he explains why that he did that. But I, I one thing I'm interested in knowing though, since Taika is already so well MCU versed, mm-hmm. I mean if you think about it, he already did he did the new Thor, he did Ragnarok. I could see that being part of the conversation of like mm-hmm. all right taika's already infused in the mcu as a filmmaker 
and now Deadpool's going to be in the MCU. And think about the some of the some of the promotion they've done for Free Guy. They did that whole thing with Korg and Deadpool. Yep. Um, so I, I I just feel like they're setting it up. They're almost like a, they're teeing it up a little bit for Taika to step in there. And plus, I think think about the internet reaction. Oh, but to wait, that. hold on. Taika's doing a Star Wars movie. Now, I don't know if that's going to oh, prevent him from right. doing it. Or like when that's happening, but he is Ooh, it's interesting. working on that. So that could prevent him from. I would argue. So let me ask you this. What's a, what do you think would be a bigger deal for Taika to do a Star Wars film or direct Deadpool 3? Uh, Star Wars. Yeah, I think Star Wars. In terms of like, you think that would be like the best route for yeah. him to go? I don't think anyone, I don't think anyone thinks of Deadpool in the sense of who directed it other than us. Hmm. Like, that's interesting. It's a Ryan Reynolds, it's a Ryan Reynolds sure. comedy. Like, I don't even think... Did Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick do both, write they both did. films? Mm-hmm. They like, wrote I, both scripts. I think yeah. outside of our circle, no one even thinks about the writing. They think about... It all feels like Ryan Reynolds' writing, as far as the jokes. And Ryan Reynolds is, owns Deadpool so much that I think it's his project entirely, no matter who's And even in Deadpool 2, like, Brolin's cable stole a lot of focus away from, you know, even who directed it. You yeah. know, like, it's kind of like if you add good yeah. characters, Zazie Beats, you know, is really yeah. good as... As Domino, so it doesn't really yeah. feel like a filmmaker's playground. Like it kind of feels like it's it's but its own. Ha- yeah, the reason why I say Star Wars and, for Taika is because how many times do you get a chance at doing that? You know, right. like this would be right. his third movie uh, in the Marvel universe. It would be the the third Deadpool movie, or he could go put his unique stamp on a Star Wars movie. Like not a lot of people have been able to. do. And Star Wars really needs also to feel fresh. Yeah, right. So, we need a voice. And, and, and I mean, and, talk about fresh Taika Waititi. Everything he puts out feels feels great. Hmm? Well, what's interesting about the conversation we're having now, now that I'm talking more about it out loud, it seems like Sean Levy almost could be the better choice here based on what we just said, because and this is not a slight towards Sean Levy. I think Sean Levy just is good at directing general films, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, Night at the Museum and Real Steel. He's a studio. Uh, He's a studio director. Correct. And I think so in terms of Taika. Even though Taika's comedy is it would fit well, I think with with uh, Deadpool. Um, even though I, I, I listen, I like Taika Waititi. I'm just I, I just didn't love Ragnarok as much as everybody mm-hmm. else did. I appreciated it from a visual and an action perspective. I just didn't love the jokes particularly. But I do feel inter- it's interesting that we think about this now. I think Sean Levy might be the best pick for this. Now yeah. that I'm thinking about it, just because of, it, of it would two. be a less of the two, sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, let's get to talking cool. points because this is a topic that we've been going over uh, a lot recently, and something broke somewhat. Uh, Shortly after we recorded, but it's really impactful for what's coming up in 2022, which is the fact that Warner Brothers had promised that this day and date experiment that they were doing for this year for all of their films going to HBO Max at the same exact time that they went to theaters is going to go away. Uh, And so in 2022, AMC has uh, Warner Brothers agreed to a deal with AMC theaters that they are going to implement a 45 day window between when films uh, play in theaters and when they go to streaming service. Uh, or And I wonder if they're available on home video at that point, too, or if it's just when they go to HBO Max. I, but, yeah. Oh, have you heard anything? No, I, I was just going to say I think that's probably just HBO Max. So that um, calls into question a number of films that Warner Brothers still has coming out this year, theoretically. Um, I, my immediate thought was that, like, Dune should push, right? But, like, Dune is, like end of october you know like the one i really wonder if it's going to push is matrix 4 um we haven't heard it's still down for december i actually verified with the studio uh this week after that news dropped on amc i was like hey is matrix 4 still a movie that's happening because like we don't know a title 
You haven't given us uh there's no, there hasn't been a promo image. You know, there hasn't been anything that this movie is coming in December. And if they now have a 45 day window built in in 2022 and they're a December release, I could very easily see them pushing into uh, February or M- March of 2022 in order to benefit from that uh, from that window. I think Dune, I think the ship has sailed. You know, I think with an October release, it's going to have to hold it and it may suffer some of the fates that we're going to discuss next with Suicide Squad, but I I think well because it's going to it's going to Toronto, it's going to Venice. You know, um, I don't think they can play them at the fel- the film festivals and then tell you, hey, we'll see you in January or early February. I think that's just mean. That's but, a good point. But let's get back to the forty five day window, Kev. This is something you've been really pushing for. How do you feel about the fact that Warner Brothers is implementing this? I feel great about it. I mean, I I obviously uh, I wish they could implement it even the rest of this year. I wish they could just let it be for Dune and, and, and the rest of the films. I know, I, and I know um, we're still in a pandemic, so I, but, I, but like I said last week on the show, prior to the pandemic, there was a 90 day window. It was already there. It already existed. You went to the theaters then you had a 90 day window until you got to home. So 45 days, first of all, we said this in the show last week or two weeks ago, I, I'm cool with, a month, you know what I mean? Just some type of exclusivity. Mm-hmm. Like I just saw Lin Manuel Miranda posted about Tick Tick Boom, um, which is the film he directed, and he, it's going to uh, theaters exclusively for a week, and then going to Netflix. And that made, made me excited. Now it's only a week, but it still pushes the theatrical to be the first place you have to go to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of forty-five days, that sounds like Christmas almost, right? Because I was a little worried about what this window was going to end up being. And I, I got to a point in my mind, and you guys have known my perspective on this has shifted a lot over the years with Roma and Sean, you know that as well. Mm-hmm. And just in terms of access to films, and I get that not everybody has access to a theater, but 45 sounds great to me. I mean, they actually, to me, it sounds like more than I'm, I was surprised they went that high. I thought they were going to go 30 or maybe like 17 days like, like, uh, like Universal did. Um, but 45 is amazing. And I think... I think that's a great compromise. It's half the time. Mm. And these massive Warner Brothers films, I just I just wish Dune and Matrix uh, could fall into that category. And I know Denis Villeneuve would probably agree agree with that. And, you know, Sean, you and I were discussing this over the weekend, that great article you sent me from Variety that Denis wrote in yes. terms of the, the, the HBO Max deal and kind of what that's going to do to the industry. And, you know, from that article itself, I don't know if, Sean, you agree, I got a sense that he was worried about not being able to make the next Dune movie. Yes. Uh, just based on the financial success of what's going to happen with the first Dune. And I know, um, Gabe, you, you said you were very confident about that second Dune movie getting made. But I, I just worry that without a theater exclusivity for a film like Dune and the Suicide Squad numbers that we saw this past weekend, yeah. which we'll get into in our next topic... I, I'm just concerned. I'm genuinely right. concerned. I, I, I wish for some reason they could give well, Dune this 45-day exclusivity. I can't necessarily get into the mind of a Warner Brothers executive who wants to, you know. But um, I wonder if the <laughs> day and date release for Dune almost helps ensure that it'll get a second film. Because it offers a sort of protection and sort of excuse. And this sort of mm. gray area about was it successful or not. Because if it gets the... Blade Runner reviews and it gets the Blade Runner sort of love from people who do see it and that's the sort of audible reception of it and then we have like a yeah you know who knows what where the Delta variant's going to be in this country by then who knows um, how this sort of day and date stuff is going to shake up as we're going to discuss a little bit with 
with Suicide Squad, it almost gives anyone who's in charge of greenlighting that next project the ability mm-hmm. to say, we don't really know how well that would have done in a normal year. Right. We know it's right. great, and we know that it needs a part two as far as the fans that we know watched it and the fact mm-hmm. that it, we kind of owe it to this filmmaker and to this property as this sort of seminal classic that we're bringing to yeah. the big screen. Like, I think it almost gives whoever that is, whatever team that is of, of executives, the the grayness in its in its um, success to sort well, of move forward versus a hard failure or pass of the, it, the week one box office. And you're right in this sense, like it's an investment in a filmmaker. Like it's wise yeah. from a studio to invest in a filmmaker. Um, and aside from, uh, you know, a topic, a topic that we've covered very heavily, which is how Zack Snyder was treated by Warner Brothers. I think largely a lot of filmmakers who work with Warner Brothers are really happy and they stay in the fold. Um, you see a lot of them return. James Wan is making all of his films at Warner Brothers. We're going to see a Clint Eastwood film, and Eastwood has been loyal to Warner Brothers over the years. I'm sure there's several other that I'm not even thinking of, but um, it feels like Denis is somebody who they'd want to invest in and keep on it. Well, Nolan for a while. Nolan was making uh, Warner Brothers movies. But I want to get to the 2022 films that now are going to benefit from having this 45-day window. Uh, the Batman is opening on March 4th, 2022. Uh, Baz Luhrmann has an Elvis film uh, coming with um, Tom Hanks. There's an untitled third, oh Jesus, uh, Fantastic Beasts film. Uh, July 29th is <laughs> <Why>? Black Adam. <laughs> yes, I don't know. Uh, November 4th is The Flash, and December 16th is Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. So, you know, blockbusters. They're back to blockbusters that, um, that are now going to get the benefit of having theatrical exclusivity, which is something that we've been pushing for uh, as a show for a very long time. But I, uh, to Gabe's point uh, about Dune, it's an interesting point about the idea of we not of not knowing whether or not it would have done well because of the times that we're in and kind of what it would have done financially. My only concern about that would be we discussed this on the show already, but I find this interesting that we as fans of Dune and Denis, we're all going to go to the theater to see it because that's the kind of experience we want to have with that film. Right. And so, Gabe, you made a point, I think it was a couple weeks ago that people probably aren't going to watch that film in, in, in massive numbers on HBO Max. I feel like it's kind of a... Correct me if I'm wrong on that, but I would argue that people who want to see Dune and people who know who Denis Villeneuve is know it's shot on IMAX, they want to see it on the biggest screen possible, and you know Denis is going to be pushing that in the press, I... and so, are the, so is the cast. Mm-hmm. But with the HBO Max numbers... I know we got some de- data a little bit in terms of what uh, what happened with Suicide Squad. I think it was yeah. the number two most watched film that they released uh, on HBO Max. I don't think Dune's going to even go near no uh, the Suicide Squad or even Mortal Kombat in terms of at-home viewings. And, and I th- that concerns me in terms of financial. I disagree. But So before, before this year happened and it got complicated with how is COVID and the current situation going to affect Dune, I was felt I was feeling very bullish very strong about because because everyone was comparing Dune to Blade Runner, which is a fair comparison. Sci-fi is in this weird era for the last ten years or so, or maybe longer, of not really doing well and not really getting a lot of traction as far as like hard sci- science fiction. Also, I think Arrival didn't Arrival like just cross a hundred million. Yeah, <laughs> it, 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 these so point being, I, I get the I get wanting to compare it to Blade Runner, but Blade Runner had Ryan Gosling and sort Harrison of Harrison Ford. Ford. Yes, but like yeah. that's it. Yeah. I think Dune has done a great job of casting Oscar Isaac, mm-hmm. of casting Aquaman, of casting Timothy Chalamet, who has an incredible young audience. Zendaya. Uh, Zendaya. Like, it is a star-studded cast. If you yep. were going to pitch 
this film to an audience who has nothing to do with Dune, who has nothing to do with Denis Villeneuve. There's plenty there for them to enjoy from just who's in it. So I think I, I feel strongly that it's a good sell to a general audience if they focus on who's in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't necessarily know if that's true. It was a long way of me explaining. I, I think it could. I don't know how to read the situation of who's watching at home and who's going to theaters. And even a couple months out, you know, things are progressing poorly here uh, from a COVID standpoint. So who knows how safe anyone's going to feel going uh, in October. But I could see a lot. I could see it being a big at home success, even though that sounds terrible to me. And I, I don't want to watch it for the first time on my TV. Um, I could see a, a general audience going, Oh, there's a big, big star studded movie that I can watch. And I already have HBO Max because I paid for it for all these films. Like I could see it doing really well uh, without having to be bought in on the director or the book. See, I don't, I don't think people, I mean, I think we are at a point in time where people aren't going to the movies anymore based on the people who are no, in them. I, no, like, but I, there are, I, but there I, are I, like eight stars that collectively can bring their audience. Like there's still a small amount of audience. There's just sure. no Will Smith. You know, there's just no like, oh, everyone in America is going to see that movie because this one person that doesn't exist. But I think that there are, you know, we talk about like the Sebastian stands of the world, not necessarily in box office, but like we talk about how how much interest they gather outside of movie fans that we see on social media and things like that. Like, I I think that if a conversation can build up online around it, each of those individuals in the film have such a a concentrated audience that they could bring to it. Uh, That's what I would focus on if I was marketing it. it, But it's interesting because I think I like someone like a Zendaya or a Chalamet they will bring in an audience for sure. I just don't know that it'll be a significant en- enough audience in terms of HBO Max where it would actually move the needle in some way. Because, I, and again, I could be wrong and I don't, I, I, I want to be wrong about this, but I don't think Dune's going to have the numbers that Mortal Kombat had on HBO Max. Mortal Kombat well, is their highest watched and that movie had no stars in it. And I, and I think, again, I know it's based on a game. I know it's based on a franchise. People know Dune's based on a, a famous book. It's also based on a movie that came out, you know, well, there was a movie that came out in the 80s from David Lynch, but it's based on the book, obviously. Um, I just feel like it's an interesting thing. And I think the, the theatrical of Dune needs to do well. And I don't, th- I don't think the HBO Max is a, is a place where that film is going to make you enough numbers or make enough uh, noise to, to, to green light the next version of it. They I, you have know what to I mean? I'm put- just, uh, they have to put that poster up in multiplex audiences where it says Oscar Isaac is playing daddy. That will get people. <laughs> that'll yeah, get that's, people buying that's also tickets. so inside. You know what I mean? Like, like sure. Oscar yeah, yeah. Isaac, like Ex Machina didn't do a hundred million, whatever the box office on that sure. movie was. I mean, Ex Machina is one of the greatest movies I've seen in the last Listen, five to 10 years. He- heady sci-fi doesn't do great. You yeah. know, it's just, no. it's not a genre Dune's that does really sell. well. Yes, but Dude, the problem is, a really is tough sell. But the problem is Warner Brothers made this bed. You know, like this should have been a conversation True. two years ago. They know. I think they know. I think we're not giving enough credit. I think they know going into it of well, the uphill battle they have to to sell uh, a very dense science fiction uh, story. So. And 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 they would be foolish not to take a look at the fact that no one's made this movie for decades because it was, and even when David when when Lynch made it. It was an unadaptable book, like for um, forever. It was unadaptable. It was, there's documentaries about it, about people trying to do it. And it was always too expensive. There wasn't enough technology. Mm -hmm. And famously, decade over decade, people talk about it. It comes up. It was always, we can't pull it off. 
And it looks like they did in some way. It looks great. They have a great filmmaker. They have a great cast. Yeah. We have the technology to make whatever we need real. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Warner Brothers was just like, hey, like Sean said, we are investing in this filmmaker. We are investing in the landscape of film. We want to make big, interesting movies. We will make billions of dollars on our superhero stuff. We can we can afford to lose whatever we lose on this. Yep, maybe. But they're not making billions of dollars on their super superhero. That's stuff beside anymore. the point. Like, I mean, I mean, we're, we're talking about this year. I mean, in yeah. a normal normal world. Yeah. So I, let's see, I, and, and we'll get into Squad, but I, I would argue I don't think Squad would have done that much better. Let's go ahead and just go um, into it. In yeah. a different yeah. time world, in a different time frame. I want to discuss these numbers, so let me give you the, the box office numbers for Suicide Squad. It did uh, 26.2 million domestically, it did 45.2 million internationally. Um, and immediately, we're going to go to the um, excuse of essentially saying, okay, well, it's COVID and maybe people don't feel safe going. But over the course of this weekend, as we all sort of in the text chain processed what happened, I think we all came up with like legitimate reasons why this movie maybe didn't connect with audiences. And it has nothing to do with the pandemic. It has nothing to do with the safety of. Well, I guess it does in a way of people. I thought this would be a movie that 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 drew more people out to the theaters as becoming like in a way that black widow almost ended up becoming you know they were like this is the one i'm gonna go see you know this is the one that i've been waiting for the reviews were it was like 96 percent fresh you know like the reviews were off the charts great um but when you start to do big cast too huge cast huge cast yes uh john cena you know idris elba margot robbie you know yes a lot of things that gabe is pointing to is saying like that should work for dune you would have thought that it could have worked for suicide squad but instead it feels like um a couple of things happened one people opted to just watch it at home uh and i don't know the numbers but it, it just if they didn't go to the theaters and yet you still I, I saw plenty of talk about it on social media i saw people you know raving about king shark and talking about rat catcher so people watched it um but the other thing kevin sort of pointed out was that there's there was a confusion amongst casual audience members of what is this movie based on the previous suicide squad movie is it a sequel is it a prequel is it a remake how come there are new characters uh and how come there are some of the same characters um and you know that falls on marketing that does fall on marketing to push forward that this is a different um movie going into it and what they chose to lean on is it's a james gunn movie and i think what these numbers prove is that we know who james gunn is but the large right. number of people outside do not so kev do you think that that's the driving factor behind these low numbers well, I've told I told you guys this when I when I was with my parents a couple of weeks ago. I, I mentioned this in the premium episode as well, so apologies if you're hearing this twice. But um, I was with my dad and mom. We were I was home for my grandfather's memorial, and I was watching showing my dad some new trailers that were coming out for some new movies. And I pressed play on the Suicide Squad. He got up to get a drink or something and came back about 25, 30 seconds into the trailer and looked at the screen and said, "Wait a second. Why does this remind me of that Suicide Squad film from a few years ago? Yeah. And it kind of dawned on me in that moment. I'm like, wait a second. Like, because we live in such a film bubble, right? That we know all about the the air cut, what happened to the first film, the studio interference. Um, these are all things that are massive things in our world. And I think I, I do this. I have a hard time doing this. 
about getting out of Twitter and then trying to realize what is going on in the actual world, right? Because I mean, it, it, is, it is a confusing thing. When you're on Twitter, your timeline would have made you think that Suicide Squad was going to make $100 million this weekend. It was the only thing anyone was talking about on my timeline. Everybody was talking about it. Gunn was retweeting all these amazing reviews. But then I thought about my dad, and I'm like, and I'm not saying my dad is the average audience for Suicide Squad, but he did see the first one. And he goes to the movies once a week with my mom. They, they've always gone to the movies prior to the pandemic. That, that's kind of how I was raised. He will, he'll just see anything. And he was confused by it. And it got me thinking, like, does the audience know what this is? And when I was on the air reviewing the film, the David Ayer last week, um, and reviewing the film, uh, one of the anchors, when they tossed to me, said, hey, Kevin, you know, great, great to have you. So tell us, is, is this a sequel? And, mm. I, and I literally stopped. I was like... It's a standalone sequel, but it's a soft reboot. But it's and I was I was even confused. And I'm an yeah. industry person. I work in this industry. And going back to your point about James Gunn, they sold the whole thing on James Gunn. That's another name that is big in our phones, that is big in the film Twitter world, and big in our minds. But the average individual doesn't know who James Gunn is. And they really leaned into that with the Guardians of the Galaxy thing. People know who Guardians of the Galaxy is, yeah. but they don't necessarily know who James Gunn but is. I don't so think it those ever two said, factors are interesting. I don't think it ever said from the director of Guardians of the Galaxy. They had a, it they, did. They it did, did have a trailer. They yeah. did say that? Because okay, I remember yeah. sure. joking about they from put Marvel horribly, in their- yeah, they're yeah, joking about yeah. DC put a Marvel movie in their trailer. Okay, so let me ask yeah, a question. It said from the horribly beautiful mind of James Gunn, and then it said, like, director of Guardians of the Galaxy, which I think was a smart move. And to sure. Gabe's point, it's interesting they, they threw a Marvel film in there. But to be honest with you, Sean, I think those two points that we you just made, that I just made as well, are the reason why the film didn't connect. It, I, I honestly think it's confusing. Also, the plot of that film... I couldn't tell you what the plot of that film is. I've seen it twice. I couldn't tell you what the <laughs> overarching... All I know is it's a group of supervillains. Uh, if you can walk me through the details of who they were trying to kill, who each individual was on on, on, on the island, I would love to hear that because I, well, I've seen it twice. I don't think it's I can tell you it's about supervillains saving the world. That's the basic yeah, premise. Yeah, I, I don't... The I plot don't know. was convoluted, I We thought. can talk about this off air, but I don't, I don't know that it was convoluted. I think maybe it was oversimplified because it wasn't really trying to be a convoluted... Um, you know, heist, set rescue mission, uh, superhero story. Like, like I think he played with a lot of that where, like, he set up, like, oh, you guys are going to go do this, and you're going to meet this guy, and you're going to do this, and then do this, and all those yeah. plans sort of fall apart, or, like, Harley sort of right. introduces chaos and just ends a storyline that you're like, oh, so that's <laughs> done. It, like, I don't think it was necessarily... Um, that was a weird detour, Harley's detour. It was also. a was strange fun. detour. I, I yeah. watched it over the weekend. I, it, it just... Uh, so here's, I'll, I'll tell you this. I watched it for the second time over the weekend. Uh-huh. And when that scene happened, I remember sitting there going, wait a second, why are we... Where's the squad? Why are we spending so much time? And yeah, I have no problem with the individualized sure. characters and learning more about them. Mm-hmm. But the film is so ensemble driven and nobody else really gets their side moments as much as Harley gets. And yeah, listen, but she's, but she's the only Harley one Quinn in the, is, she's the only one in the whole movie that has her own movie. Well, let like, me ask this. Let me ask this. She's the biggest star. And in she's the movie. great in the film. Do you I love think, her in the film. I actually like the film a lot. Do you think the inclusion of her le- led to the most confusion? Because it's the same actress playing the same character in now a third different movie. I don't think so. So, in my opinion, 
and this is as someone who's coming from the perspective that we're talking about in this bubble and aware of it, I don't know that it's as confused. I get that there are people that will be confused and there are people that will ask the question, what is sure. this? But I don't think it's really that confusing to just say it's another Suicide Squad movie because that's sure. all it is. The Suicide Squad is a band of misfits. Like it's mm-hmm. about these prisoners that take it's a deal. Dirty to, dozen. To, to do, it's a dirty mm-hmm. dozen. And this is just that team that exists within this government entity is doing another mission with more prisoners that they have that they're pulling from their their barrel of prisoners that are so right. powered. But think like, about I my don't dad, think it's, though. Mm-hmm. I get that, and that's anecdotal. I don't think we can hang our argument on one person. I don't think he's alone in that. But I'm just saying, I think that it's not... I think maybe people having the conversation amongst themselves were overthinking it when what Warner Brothers was trying to do was just going, hey, this is a Suicide Squad movie. This uh-huh. is the Suicide Squad. James Gunn directed it. Like, I don't think they were trying to tie it into anything. I think it can exist just as a... We know what the concept of a Suicide Squad is. This movie even sets up that there are, you know, multiple teams that that she's putting together to to, to pull a mission right. off. Like it's just about the concept of this getting movie these supervillains together. Is going to struggle to get to sixty million dollars domestic. And again, that and again, I, I want to. I did want to mention insane. before before we move on, what you guys say is valid, but I don't think, and I don't think you meant this when you said it has nothing to do with it. Your points have nothing to do with the pandemic, but it is very true that right now. The patam- the pandemic is ramping up. For sure, people people this are becoming true. way yep. more concerned about it. I did yes. see plenty of people that uh, noted that they were just going to watch it at home because they didn't feel safe. Here, I will speak for myself. I ended up watching it at home partly uh, because of that, partly because of just the time to to go to the theater and all that. It was a busy weekend, mm-hmm. um, but that was definitely that definitely factored in in the fact that where I'm at now, we have a mask mandate back. Um, yeah, and I'll just speak on this briefly, like about my thinking for anyone who, you know, we always talk about do what you feel is safe. And for mm-hmm. me, this second wave and people reinstating the mask mandate, I've noticed that people are not as exci- not as um, compliant, I guess is, is the word to use. Okay. Whereas originally when we had the mask mandate here in the city, it was 100 percent. But now that we have this mix of vaccinated unvaccinated this information is doubly complex than it was right um i've noticed that this sort of participation in that is lesser than it was so i even feel less safe sure. um or less sure or like i'm putting other people in more danger because of this so i i do think that that, that is a big deal and i do think that you know, unfortunately, we could see us going back to... I, I don't know how the theater industry is going to react. I don't think they want to shut their doors again. I think it's going to be really hard for that to happen if it needs to happen again. Um, so I, I don't think that's a non-factor. I do think that that... Absolutely. And I, gave, I didn't mean to point out... I and wasn't I don't definitely think trying to say that it was a non-factor. Yeah. I just thought if we took COVID out of it, I thought Suicide Squad also had some very compelling reasons. 100%. 100%. I just wanted to clarify that you didn't mean exactly that. You didn't mean it it didn't have any effect just for these reasons. Yeah, yeah. Aside. For sure. It's a complicated film. But what you so everything you just said, I completely agree with. And I think that we are in uncertain times. People are questioning their safety. And that's a completely valid point. But to your point. I would argue that the numbers on HBO Max should have been bigger then. Do we know because the numbers? If, if yeah, did they give us the we numbers? Know that it, we, know, we don't know the numbers, but we know that it was the second oh, most watched second in Mortal the Kombat. opening weekend to Mortal Kombat. So my, okay, so, but, but we don't know what that means. That's an what inter- that's that, an imp- do we know what the Mortal Kombat numbers are? Well, we know are? what it means. Oh, hang on. Do we know what the well, Mortal no. Kombat numbers are? 
Here's my point. What if it's 400 million people saw it and 401 million people saw Mortal Kombat? Like, that's a ridiculous number. But we don't know the number. Like, that's the... Let me get the numbers while you guys are talking. Jake talks about it all the time of, if we don't know the number, then they're just kind of saying stuff. It's just... And I'll say this too. It's just noise. And then we got to move on. Mortal Kombat um, came out right after uh, Godzilla vs. Kong. And of those two, Godzilla vs. Kong felt like the one that you were like, all right, I'm going to go to the theater to see this, if at all possible, right? right. Like, I want to see all that right, big. Gonna... But Mortal Kombat, to me, because that's how I watched it, felt very much like, I, I can press play on HBO Max. And ag- and, and, and so, to add to that, sorry, and we'll get to, to what you're going to mention, we, we've discussed this, but we have to remember that the things are changing and moving so fast that from those releases as being sort of a return in a sense of like, mm. oh, wow, there are really big, interesting movies happening, like a general audience movie is happening versus like we've been getting a lot of indie films and stuff that's just been thrown on on home video and such. Like those felt like, oh, the the theater industry or the movie industry is kind of moving and a more general audience is paying attention to it. And then you go to a few weeks later and you have A Quiet Place, which is in a much different environment as far as where theaters are at. And mm. that kept going. Like these things are changing so much that comparing Mortal Kombat to what's going on now the world is in a different place as far as the theater industry is concerned. So it's not even fair necessarily to compare. You have numbers, Kev? I think it's a, I think it's a completely fair comparison. I'll tell you why. So when HBO, so when Mortal Kombat launched, listen, clarify, uh, um, correct me if I'm wrong on this. Mortal Kombat had a theatrical and HBO Max or just HBO Max? No, theatrical too. Yeah. Okay, perfect. So when, when uh, Mortal Kombat launched, I'm going to read the headline from Deadline here. This is from Deadline. The Suicide Squad HBO Max week. Probably a reduced theatrical. Because I think yeah, no, maybe like were, Regal was closed and stuff there were, like that. There weren't. Yeah, we, we right. only um, only a f- Black Widow, I think, was the first release that had like a 4,000 plus uh, theater right. release. Like where mm-hmm. we were finally in like the three late 3,000 sort of theaters that were even open to, to participate. But my argument here would be this. Everything that Gabe just explained as to why people may have tuned in to Suicide Squad at home, in my opinion, would have boosted the HBO Max numbers. Mm-hmm. Because if, if, if the Suicide Squad was a movie that people actually really wanted to see, and I, and, and I want to clarify, yeah. we all like this film. This is not mm-hmm. coming from a negative place. We're all just trying to figure out why it didn't do well. I would argue that based on everything Gabe just said, that Suicide Squad on HBO Max should have been an astounding number. Um, and, and if it d- had done less as what it did in theaters. So I'm going to read this from Deadline. The Suicide Squad HBO Max weekend viewership was off 26% from Mortal Kombat in Samba Ooh. TV US households. Now listen to this. Third-party streaming analysts, they say this, they, that there was 2.8 million US households that tuned into the film from the Friday to Sunday frame. 3.8 million households tuned into Mortal Kombat in that same time frame. So my point is, Mortal Kombat, I would argue, didn't... I, I, I would say Suicide Squad was a, was a bigger film than Mortal Kombat. Would you guys agree with me on that? It, it should have been a bigger oh, yeah, film than sure, Mortal Kombat. Yeah. So if if Mortal Kombat did 3.8 million households okay. in its first weekend, and Squad had all these things factored into it in terms of COVID, people being worried to go to the theaters, and did a million less households... But here's, but here's the thing. What does that tell you? But here's the thing about these numbers. Don't We don't have anything to gauge these numbers on, because this is not a fair way to put this, because it's a far... There's too many variables Why is it not here. fair? Let me explain. There's too many variables here to decide, because at home, there's so much more to pulls people's attention. To go to the theater, you have to leave your house, you have to spend the money, this, that, and the other. 
Those are the barricades you have to make yourself through in order to get someone to sit down in person. At home, it's much okay. easier, but also there's YouTube, there's video games, there's books, there's TV. There's so much more that you can just simply flip to that you can do at home. So why didn't it do better at Hang home? On, let me, let me, one other factor. Can I finish my point? Let me finish my point. So it's, I think those variables are so different. It's hard to, it's hard to, to say that this is, a, is fair, but that 2.8 million people that tuned in, households that households. tuned in. So that's more than one person, but just saying one person per, if they went and bought a $15 ticket, you add $42 million to the, to the box office. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's then a 60, almost a $70 million box office. We're not talking about it being a failure. That's my point. Like, sure. So sure. It's less than Mortal Kombat, but like, we don't have a gauge of, is that a success or not? And that's the problem with using those numbers that they decide to provide or that a third party that we can't that- verify. That if people weren't going to go to the theater to see it based on the factors that you mentioned in terms of COVID and, and, and questions about what the film was, to press play at home would have been so much easier. I think but, it should have been bigger. But That's again, awesome. it's not easier because there are more distractions. They no, are no, competing no, with also, more things. Hold on. I, and we are also kind of overlooking the, the bigger point, which is just that some people are tired of DC. Sure. Like some people don't 100%. really like the DC movies. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of people who love the Snyder stuff that don't that won't support any of the DC stuff. Um, there's people who didn't like Birds of Prey and they thought Wonder Woman 1984 was weak. Um, again, again, that's why so, I say I think there's too many variables for us to say uh, no one cared. I like I, I, it's there's too much too much going on, too many things that we could pull from, and these numbers that we're getting from a third party that we can't verify, that Warner Brothers refuses to verify, or Netflix refuses, whoever it is, the streamer is, you know, like pulling a conclusion from that, I think is um, well too simple. But the big takeaway is that we all thought that movie should have done better domestically. It's a great movie. I didn't get it. I haven't mentioned in the podcast. I loved it. And I think that this is the second film that DC has put out uh, where I said, wow, we have never really gotten a superhero movie that was like this. Like mm-hmm. we've never really gotten a superhero movie that was allowed to be a, a, a filmmaker's movie. This doesn't feel like it was trying to appease all four quadrants. It felt like yeah. James Gunn was just following his instinct. It felt like Zack Snyder was following his instinct, you know, and it and people don't like it for whatever reasons, but that's what makes it interesting is that it's it's specific. Mm-hmm. Um, so I loved it. I, I had a great time with it to talk about the quality of the film. People yeah. should watch it. If you didn't watch no, we, it, it's we available all at really home. Liked it. Yep. You should watch it. It's fantastic. John Cena is a sick bastard. <laughs> He's ridiculous. <laughs> the He's the best part of the whole movie. Those tidy whities his, his best performance. <laughs> Yeah, I think so. His best performance I've ever I seen. I agree with you. I never, really, I never really believed him in anything, perf- and he was great. How great was Polka Dot Man, too? Oh, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. He's great. He's great. <laughs> yeah. With this- David Dalsmachian. I, I think that James Gunn did a great job in terms of finding... Because, like, what Cena did in Trainwreck with Apatow was, I think, really what the, where they finally... They, they tapped into his comedic side. I mean, obviously, he was funny in terms of wrestling, but Gunn found a way to make him badass and funny um, in a perfect combination. Cena, I think it's definitely Cena's best performance as well. I agree. All right, let's get to this week in movies. And uh, not ironically, we're going to start with two movies that are going to streaming. Um, and one is called Coda, uh, which is opening in limited release, but it's uh, also going to be available via your Apple TV Plus uh, segment. This is something that I learned due to our premium episode because Jake used this film as one of his three most favorite films that he's seen so far this year. And CODA uh, stands for the children of deaf adults. And I did not know that. I knew that the movie was about uh, the one member of a family who could hear uh, in a deaf family. And um, so if you want to hear his, his take on it, 
seek out our premium uh, episode, but know that he recommends it highly and says that people yes. should should definitely see this. It was a Sundance film that I know that came out of the festival back in January with a ton of great reviews. And so uh, it's going to be available broke on the, Apple TV. Broke the record, which we discussed a little bit. Yep. I definitely, that's on my to-do list uh, yeah. this weekend. In addition to Nicolas Cage's Pig, which I really want to see. Um, Beckett is opening on Netflix. Uh, and this is John David Washington's film with Alicia Vikander. And uh, we had the director, Ferdy, on our show, I think it was last week, uh, on the main show, where he breaks down his filmmaking process. Um, I, I liked Beckett. Uh, I thought it was really good. I thought it was well made. I think John David Washington is an absolute star. I think that he is proving he can carry just about any type of film. And I think people are going to keep experimenting with him uh, and stretch the range of his talents. But even looking at just his filmography up to this point, when you do uh, Black Klansman, Malcolm and Marie, Tenant. Beckett, like he's believable in all of these projects, you know. I just think he's granted it's in his genes, basically at this point. Yeah. He's um, he, he's funny enough. He's become like a um, so quickly like a a staple of Real Blend. He's been on the show twice. Yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. we've covered I think since Black Klansman everything he's been in. Like we've covered in the sense of yeah. we've been very enthusiastic about his projects. Mm-hmm. Yep. Everything yeah. since then. So he's and he's a great guest, by the way. Fantastic if you, if you haven't heard that interview for Malcolm and Marie, that's probably that's the one I would listen to. That and, one's and, great. Uh, obviously, the, the one with Christopher Nolan. The Tenet one is good because obviously Tenet or Tenet, obviously Nolan uh, takes a lot of that interview. We had it was a small amount of time, and so a lot of uh, John David's participation is him sort of reacting to Nolan and yeah, kind yeah, of playing yeah. along. Uh, so it's, it was, that was a fun one in particular. It was, there was a comment underneath that on YouTube and it was like, interview both your guests. Well, that was, like, <laughs> this is why we say that Nolan is still a, um, a white whale of sorts because not because he was with somebody parrot is fine, but we only had like 15 minutes with him. Right. Was that, and with two people. And it's like, we asked three questions. And we do a oh, bit yeah. about but, Dunkirk. And yeah, out. we got him to say Dunkirk, did, which is really yeah. just, that was the goal. <laughs> Sorry, Beckett, continue on Beckett. <laughs> well, I want to jump ahead, actually, because the other three movies uh, deserve a, a ton of time. And Kev, I want you to get into Free Guy, um, because if you heard the premium episode, you will know that uh, Free Guy currently is Kevin's favorite movie of the year. And so I want to give you plenty of time to explain yeah. why. Well, I, I just love the film. and I thought Sean Levy did a phenomenal job capturing... Uh, an emotion that I needed to see in, in the theaters. It was just uh, the idea of appreciating your life. And this is not a, a theme that we haven't seen in films before, but it was just the way it was executed. Um, the filmmaking behind this film in terms of just the, the visual effects are incredible. And Ryan Reynolds is, and is amazing in this, but shout out to a lot of the, uh, his co-stars uh, who are also amazing. Lil Rao Howery, who's one of my favorite actors working right now. He's such a great actor. I loved him in Get Out. He's great in this. Uh, Taika Waititi is great in this. Jodie Comer, I'm now a fan of hers. I, I, I haven't seen Killing Eve, but I, I was obsessed with her in this film. And I can't wait to see what she does with Ridley Scott or I think Ridley I, Scott in The Last Duel. I think I saw she was on a, <clears throat> excuse me, a short list and maybe a fan made short list. I don't know. But I thought she was in discussions to be the next Doctor on Doctor Who. Like people. Oh, are, wow. Oh, that's wild. That would be interesting. Now, that would be a good choice. I, I yeah. mean, she's... she commands there's a new doctor a very... next year, starting next year, from what I understand. Okay. Yeah. She's it's... an amazing actor, and she's great and free guy. And I'll, I'll just say this film has my one of my favorite lines of dialogue I've heard in a long time. Um, it's, a, it's a line that I think is going to stay with me for a very long time. And it's just a... It's a film that made me feel good, man. I mean, and I'm not saying that, like, emotionally, when you walk out of a film like that, 
I was walking differently. I felt better about life when I walked out of that theater. And it was a, I needed that. And, I, and we talk about headspace a lot and kind of where we are in terms of headspace when we sit down for a film. I still haven't reviewed Green Knight because when I saw it, I didn't feel like I was in a good headspace for that type of film. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be watching it. We mentioned this on Premium and we'll plug it here. And on August 18th, uh, A24 is going to be doing uh, a one night only um, screening of that film at home. Um, so you can go to A24's Twitter or uh, my Twitter or whatever uh, to find more details on that. I will definitely be revisiting the film that night, particularly just to get my thoughts. But in terms of headspace, you know, when I saw a free guy, I just gotten off a stressful day at work. Um, and then I got into the theater, sat down, got a popcorn and just enjoyed it. It was, it was, I just loved it. I loved every second of it. It was greatly, it was well paced. Reynolds is fantastic. It's my favorite movie of the year right now. Um, I would imagine that will change at some point. Cause we have so many films coming out the rest of the mm-hmm. year that I'm very much excited to see, including Dune. Um, but yeah, I, I love this film and I hope people see it. I am a little worried about the box office though. I think it's a very tough sell. Yeah. I don't know if this film, it, it's hard to explain this movie to people. Well, and, and a, lot a lot of people, of people think it already like, came out too, is a problem. They like do. It's been marketed I also, I also don't think that the trailers, the trailers have been a little, a lot of people have been telling me they didn't love the trailers. So they were like, they were surprised that the reviews for the film were so good. Interesting. And I think that comes from the, yeah. So I'm just interested to see how well it's going to do. I mean, Reynolds is a big star, but we've talked about this in the show a bunch of times. These actors aren't bringing in people to the theaters well, anymore. Let me make an so. argument for, for Reynolds in this sense. Um, I think he's very much in control of his marketing. Uh, you know, I think he has a, a, a hand in it for sure. And he's re- he's recycled something that works well for him, but it's him uh, and a very catchy 90s pop tune. Uh, he does right. it for Hitman's Bodyguard with a Britney Spears song. Obviously, it was a driving point for Deadpool. Here it's Mariah Carey. And, you know, it works for him, but I don't. I, I do wonder if audiences keep seeing that kind of bit used and think that it's like, oh, I've seen this, you know, and it's weird because free guy is really creative. You know, it's, 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 it's overwhelmingly imaginative almost in the fact that it has this open world game uh, that players step into. It's, it's very much a, um, a take on Fortnite, which is a game that my boys played for a long time to the point where there are, professional Fortnite players who basically play themselves and comment on the game that opening uh segment have that oneer um where you are skydiving in that's how you start every Fortnite mission like you you jump oh. off of a bus and you take a hang glider into the world and you kind of land it's immersive a it's place. a great tool to like for storytelling like really the, the way sean opens this film is amazing and i'm gonna second so. how much i love jody comer comer in it um because for the, for the chunk of it, she's playing this really headstrong character in the game. And one thing that Sean Levy does that's really, really smart is that he'll just like randomly cut out to whoever is playing the the person, you know, out in the real world. Right. And it's like a kid or some loser who's living at home in his mom's basement kind of thing. <laughs> and it's really funny. It's very funny. And when you meet Jodie Comer's uh, character in real life... She gets to play something totally different, and I think that she was incredible in both of them. So um, I liked it a lot. I think it's really creative. I, I like Ryan Reynolds in this. Obviously, I think Reynolds has the, his type of humor, and he knows his lane right now, and he's absolutely staying in it. Um, it's he gets a lot of fun out of being the naive uh, bank teller character, 
And um, but as it evolves, like there's some really funny bits in the in the third act, yeah. some real big cameos <laughs> that you don't expect yeah. that I you know obviously want to protect. And um, yeah, I, I just go and have fun with it. Um, it's but but there is definitely some deeper elements, emotional elements that I'm really happy yeah. Kevin connected with. Um, they didn't hit me quite as much, but I I love the fact that they connected with you. I think that's yeah. It's just, it's just, it, it was just the moment I just needed it. Really, to be honest with you, it was great. Yeah. So um, let's switch gears completely to uh, "Don't Breathe" too, because this, <laughs> is, this is not a feel-good movie uh, by any sense of the word. And I think so. I think I liked this a lot more than you did, Kev. Where did you like it? Um, I I would argue that I really liked the first one. Yeah, this one is a little step below, but I still enjoyed it. it it's it's just a really I texted you afterwards, and this again, this is a headspace thing. It's such a brutal film, um, and the older I get, and maybe this, I don't know what this says about me. I'm 37 now. I, I some of that stuff uh, that 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 like saw hostile, yeah, disturbing, just absolute like grotesque, brutal, gory stuff, just for the sake of being gory. Mm-hmm. It's not my thing, but I also have, as a film reviewer, I have to sit back and watch it objectively and talk about it from a movie a review. Is it a good film? Does it work in the genres? Is it good for audiences? Um, I'm just at a point where I find these types of films to be a little hard to watch, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. It's 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 a really brutal experience, and I don't know that I'll ever watch it again. But it's very well made. Stephen Lang is incredible. As you heard in our interview, the contact lenses that he wears, he doesn't even know where his marks are. Um, that's It's pretty wild how they make this movie. And there's, you know, one of the things that, Sean, I think you brought up in the interview, which I think uh, was a really fascinating discussion, is this idea of this moral push-pull with Steven's character and kind of like how we go back and forth. I think Jake was talking about this as well. Mm-hmm. We're like one minute we 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 think that he's a good person, next minute we think he's a bad person, and the narrative kind of shifts that for us mm-hmm. uh, as we watch it. But you know, there's a lot to be said about this film from a filmmaking perspective. There's an amazing wonder that happens in the house early on when yes. when the, when the guys break in. Um, so it, it's hard to talk about a film like this because I think it's well made. But it's just so brutal that I have a hard time recommending it. And it's I'm, really hard to watch. I'm normally of that mindset with you. Like I don't like that type of hu- that type of horror uh, at all. And to the to the flip side, Brendan asked to watch something scary uh, just this past week. Like he's starting to get into horror movies. He's 13 years old now, and he said, "I want to watch Friday the 13th." And I was like, "All right, but I'm not going to show you the first one because it's kind of boring." And, you know, even the second one is kind of cheesy. Isn't there one death in the first one? Yeah, at most. And then it turns out, like, the killer yeah. is his mom. You know, but when, Jay- when he wants right. to see Friday the 13th, he knows he wants to see Jason. So we jumped ahead to um, number four, right? And then I forget about, and maybe this is, like, Puritan, too, but, like, there's so much sex and nudity in the Friday the 13th movies. <laughs> yeah. Like, every scene is, like, two other people going upstairs to, like, more about, the shower. T- yeah, or... it's more about camp counselors having sex than oh, camp counselors getting so murdered. So much is. So right, every right. chapter, I was like, let's jump ahead. Well, let's jump ahead. Yeah. And he goes, he goes I'm, I've only seen half the movie. And you're like, well. But you know why? You know, psychologically, it's really fascinating. And my parents did the same thing. They would yeah. let me watch all the violence. 
Yeah. But the sex, they would they would skip. I mean, I remember seeing yeah. True Lies next to my parents. And they were like, you can watch all the violence you want. But when Jamie Lee Curtis is dancing, we're covering yeah. your eyes. And so, like, so it's a it's a oddity okay. of American culture. I, was the same <laughs> way. I do understand that. And honestly, for real, like, I don't I don't believe in it. But in the moment, I was fast. It feels it's ingrained right. in us. It's ingrained in us. It's like, it, no, this right. is not. You, yeah. you can watch the guy get his head cut off. Yes, you can't watch anyone have sex. No, yeah, there's yeah. a moment where um, Jason is on a on a slab at the at the morgue, and people assume that he's dead. Of course, he's not. And he uh, picks up a, a, a saw and he digs it into the guy's head and cuts through enough that then he can turn the guy's head completely around. God. And of course, all of us are like, yeah. "Oh yeah!" And then that's awesome. <laughs> and then we but just see move that on. type of violence in those movies—that's different than the violence in Don't Breathe. Like I, I would argue that when you're watching the violence in the Friday the Thirteenth film, it's almost like a. <laughs> It's almost like a sport. It's like it's fun to watch yeah. Jason kind of playing around in this world. And I'm not saying watching people get murdered in movies is fun. No, but, but in those Jason, types of movies, they kind of it, it is works. It's played for over the top. Yes, but when you watch Don't Breathe, it's just it's so I mean, we get into the interview with the with the filmmakers on our bonus episode about the turkey baster from the first movie, um, which is still horrifying to me. But the violence in Don't Breathe is so it's such on a different level than the Friday I'll give you, 13th. I'll give you and, one example yeah. that's not spoilery. There's a guy in Don't Breathe who gets his mouth and two? nostrils. Don't breathe too. Oh. Okay. Who gets his mouth and nostrils covered in crazy glue. glue. And yeah. it's Ugh. It's super uncomfortable, yeah. and they figure out a way to give him a, a breathing hole, and it's it's not through the oh, the God. mouth, but it's over the top. It's really yeah. it's super that's, aggressive. That's, that's uh, I have I haven't seen Don't Breathe Two yet, but that's the fun, and and the filmmakers kind of got into this. That's the fun of horror. Horror is a genre that has its own sort of like goalpost that keeps moving, um, and or or bar that keeps getting raised, and that's like a part of the. If you're a horror fan, a fun of the horror is like, what's how a gross. new? How can what's uh, creatively the creative sort of sure. crux of a lot of horror or or aspects of a specific horror film is, what's one way we can fuck with somebody, like fuck with the audience and like mess up our cast that well, is new or that is different. Turkey or is an homage. Exactly. Like it's like what's a way that <laughs> that is new and different that is gonna give that feeling that horror feeling. And that's like a whole sort of creativity that only horror kind of has with its um, fans. The ballerina in Suspiria, I will never, I will not forget. Oof, yeah. Because we sat down to watch that on a no. Sunday morning, eating breakfast, and it was a mistake. No, <laughs> it was breakfast. a huge mistake. One thing I do want to clarify, and I think this is important to clarify, in terms of horror, I'm okay with if, if the violence serves a story. Mm. And like to me, like grotesque and brutal violence if it serves the story in a way that makes the story more interesting, mm. that I'm cool with. I'm the problem I have is the torture porn yeah. aspect of horror. Mm -hmm. um, and that aspect of where I came out of saw and came out of hostile. I am not against horror violence. One of my favorite movies of all time is evil dead Two. you know, and that movie is brutal, but it's also done in a very fun way. Yeah. Anything that serves story. I'm cool with yep. But when you like Gabe's point just now is very interesting. What, there's two. There's a question you could ask yourself when you watch any violent scene in a horror film: Is this being done to shock me, or is this being done as a story purpose that oh, also shocks me? I promise we'll move on after this. Let me give an example. And I was sitting next to Kevin while this example happened. David Gordon Green's Halloween. 
There's a moment when Mike Myers is walking through the house, you know, later in the, in the movie, he's in suburbia and he's walking through the house and you hear a baby crying and he walks into the room. And in the moment, I think I yelled out and I was like, oh, God, no, you know, because right. the story is telling you that he's, he's going to hurt this baby. baby. Yeah. He's going to kill this baby. The baby's crying. Why else are you telling me that a baby's yeah. crying if he's not going to kill the baby? And then he doesn't, you know, but the 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 fear of that. Of the fear of that even being a right. possibility is was more scary than any of the kills in the movie. In order 100%. to get that, in order to get that fear, you have to see him rip a guy's face off. You know, minute twenty True. of the yes. movie. You know, like but, that. That all serves that moment. Mm-hmm. To well, last part. thing I'll say about last thing I'll say about this seven is the example I always go to. Fincher's seven. Mm. That is the most one of the most brutal films I've ever seen in my entire life. But you don't see hardly any of the violence. Mm-hmm. It's True. all aftermath. It's all, after it's all dialogue. Yeah. Like that, the scene when the guy is re, is recollecting lust mm. is to me one of the, still one of the most horrifying things mm. I've ever seen in a film. But Fincher does it in a weird way. I, I use this word lightly, tastefully, yeah. uh, and, yeah. and I say that because he's he's he, it's almost worse what he does because you are then envisioning the imagery, but he's not, but it's all story driven. Like we are, the way that scene is designed is completely story driven and it is shocking, but it, but it serves a story. And I think that there's a, there's a case to be made about brutal and nasty serving story versus just shocking. Yeah. And it's just, it's just a matter of uh, taste and, and approach. And that's kind of the fun of it. Like that's, they're artists at the end of it. Like it's, True. Is your artistry wanting to push forward sort of like the the uh, the special effects of it and sort of how much you can show on screen and and how much, you know, when you're discussing with the actual regulation boards of like how many frames can you literally keep of this <laughs> yeah, yeah, bashed yeah. face? You know, like that, that there's an art to like, I, I want this to be real. I want this to be whatever versus, you know, I, like I just rewatched the, uh, Guy Ritchie's first couple of films and he's the kind of guy who's like a. I'm going to throw a big knife into somebody and I'm going to cut right before it gets there to someone's reaction. Right. Mm-hmm. And you do the same thing that the person did, even though you didn't see it, you know, it's just, mm-hmm. it's just a different approach and it's a different, mm-hmm. I, I enjoy them both for their, for their own reasons, but that's the sure. Film. All yeah. right. Let's shift gears yet again, uh, to the Aretha Franklin bio- biopic, uh, respect. So we're all over the place in yeah. this week in movies, but that goes to show the exciting things that are coming to I haven't seen it. How's the all the gore in respect? Yeah, 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 vicious. That Aretha Franklin was. <laughs> she does murder. She every does time, murder. Every we'll time she that. sings, people people's heads explode. Yeah. Literally. Uh, exactly. I was going to bring this up earlier in the in the show, but I decided to wait till here because we were discussing um, whether certain films warrant uh, going to see them in a theater, or uh, if you're comfortable watching them at home. And some things that sort of um, naturally a superhero movie or some type of effects driven film would say, uh, you know, get yourself out to the theater and respect to me uh, before I saw it felt like the kind of movie of like, well, I could probably watch it on an award screener uh, when it comes around later and still get the impact of of what happens in the movie. But they they booked it in a screening for us last night. And because of the the fact that press screenings, you know, are kind of limited lately and I'm not quite sure what's going to happen to them moving forward, I, I go to all of them that they book in my market because I want them to keep doing it. Um, and damn, am I glad that I went out to a theater to go see this because the 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 music and the sound and her voice um, is ninety percent of the film. Um, I cannot say enough good things about her. About um, 
I was going to say Hudson. Jennifer Lawrence, Jennifer Hudson. Thank you. Uh, in this in this role, Jennifer she Lawrence. just it's Jennifer we Lawrence. We have a plays. lot. We'd have a lot more to talk about <laughs> if they cast Jennifer Lawrence. Lawrence. <laughs> Aretha Franklin. We'd have some she, different topics. She literally. Kevin said this, and I, you know, I kind of rolled my eyes a little bit because I was like, oh, it's like an actory thing. He said that she channels Aretha Franklin, um, and there spiritually. are spiritually. Yes, and there are scenes it, where you're 100 percent right. Like she's just—it's her. It's, it's her. her. It is her. And it, I mean, it's yep. a credit to how good um, Jennifer Hudson is. How talent? She's just an uh, overwhelming amount of talent. You know, like she can sing anything. And and it's hard. There was a hard disconnect because I kept appreciating her throughout the movie and saying like, "Damn, she can sing anything." Um, and then I had to remind myself, oh, but it's Aretha Franklin who really did this first, you know, because she starts in jazz, you know, and then she transitions to soul, um, which was driven a lot by gospel at that time. And she's singing standards, you know, and then she's branching out. And Jennifer Hudson is going through all of these with pitch perfect accuracy. But then you have to remind yourself, oh, but she's doing a catalog of somebody who broke down all these barriers beforehand. And so... My only beef with respect, which I think is, I, I think it's a really good movie with an outstanding performance. Um, I think that there's so much to Aretha Franklin's life that any two hour, two and a half hour movie is going to have to go quickly over some bits that I want to learn more about. Um, and right. this film even only really takes us up to 1972, you know, so there's a huge chunk of her life that still uh, doesn't get going. And it ends like over the credits. It shows a performance of hers uh, from much later in her life. And you realize that she was still incredible, you know, till the end. So uh, listen, if you just want to go and appreciate the music and you want to see one of the one of the strongest performances I've seen in a musical biopic uh, in, in an extremely long time, I think that movie did this. Uh, there were a lot of really good supporting performances. It hits a lot of the same beats. You know, she she rises to the top. She falls. She has a, a, a dissension. Basically, she pulls herself back up. But the way that it's structured and the fact that music is just like in the fabric of this movie, uh, you know, I, I think it's worth going out of your way to go see in a theater because the, the music and the sound in her voice were off the charts unbelievable. I couldn't agree with you more. I, it was uh, the theatrical experience of this film was shockingly good, like shockingly good, like because it's live, mm. right? Her singing and that music. There are moments I, I want to shout out Mark Maron, who's great in this film, too, because Maron's performance, his character is really interesting because uh, he's like a de-escalating type of character. But he's but he's but he's so he's so like in their face in, in terms of like getting in people's faces in terms of like. Um, the way he would he operate plays in a, a record, He plays a record executive who essentially signs Right. Her. Yeah. After right. she had... Do you know at that point she was on Columbia? She did nine records with Columbia before she went to Mark Marin. And then at one and point no she hits. gets a cake. She gets a cake and it says like, happy 25th birthday. And I was like, you're only 25 at this point. You have nine records <laughs> right. out. So she was on yeah. incredible. Incredible. But a shout out to Mark Barron, who's great in the film. Marlon Wayans is really good in the film. Um, and what I was talking about in terms of de-escalation, Mark Marin, as you mentioned, is the record label. He's the head of the label, or yeah. is he one of the executives of the mm -hmm. label? And he'll be in these meetings with artists, and there's a lot of drama that happens in these meetings. And he just, 
the way he would sit in those meetings and de-escalate conversations and kind of get Aretha to move forward in terms of what she was doing in Hudson's character. It, 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 every character was interesting, but the live recordings of the music were my favorite parts of the whole film. Like when they start really getting into like her doing these live recordings or even sitting with her sisters and coming up with respect on mm-hmm. the piano. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just some really cool moments. And I, and I think the live singing aspect of it really, really kind of like, like really goes home in terms of like making you want to see this in the theater. Cause it sounds amazing when she's in Madison square garden mm. singing respect. It is, you feel like you're right there and it's because yep. of the filmmaking and, and the actual sound quality. Hudson is Aretha Franklin. I never saw Hudson on screen. It was her the whole time. Like that character. And shout out to the younger actress who plays young Aretha mm-hmm. Franklin early on in the film, who has to carry a lot of the emotional weight until we meet Hudson. I think, what, 20 or 30 minutes in, maybe 20 minutes in. Yes. Um, but she is outstanding. Everyone in this film. Forrest Whitaker, great performance. Oh, my God. Everyone's so great in this. Whitaker's performance is so. It's a hard performance because he's such a. The character he plays is her so... father. He plays her father, who is essentially managing her career early on, uh, and then they get they get at odds about what direction her career should go in. Essentially, yeah, definitely. I have What's a up, question Gator? before we move on because we are running long. Um, yes. and this might be a record breaking question on August eleventh. Uh, so is she the front runner? Yeah, it's, listen. I know that that is <laughs> the immediate. She deserves it. Yeah, right she, now. She, she, she. I think here's what I'm even gonna say. Because I don't even want to call something like Oscar nominated or Oscar. Uh, she she gives an Oscar worthy performance, right? Like I think she belongs in the category. Um, I I would be very surprised if she doesn't get there, but it's super early because it's, it's August. really early. Oh, it's yeah. so early. But she is honestly. Wasn't was this originally supposed to come out um, around Christmas time, or was that last year? No, that sounds right. That does sound right. Um, and, and the only, the thing I want to talk about, but the, how it glances over some things, like there's some really important things in there about civil rights movement and work she did with Martin Luther King and, you know, but the movie just doesn't have time to get to that. There's a, there's an actor who plays Martin Luther King in several scenes and I think they do enough to make it important. Yeah. They spent some good time with that. I thought. They do. Yeah. yeah. I, I, Cause like, cause that, that becomes a whole centerpiece for her for her character arc, right? Yes. In terms of like what she wanted to do and give back and kind of help with the with with everything that was going on. And yeah. I thought the Martin Luther King Jr. thing was actually a pretty prominent part of the film. Like that that, that was a big through line, I thought. Yeah, I guess yeah, I guess I just mean like I think that there are other elements of her personal life that I wanted to be explored a little bit more. But I also I loved sure. the songwriting as- aspects of it. All the stuff with the Muscle Shoals band was unbelievably yeah. great right that yeah that was that was with mark Marin's scenes right like, yeah, those yeah. scenes were incredible like those i wanted i wanted to sit in those recording sessions the yep. whole movie like the, like you actually felt like you were watching a real aretha franklin recording session like the way she navigates the room and tells the artists what to do with their yep. instruments and knowing i mean it She's so in the zone with that performance. It's mm-hmm. her. I'm telling you, it, there is a it's, spiritual element. And she was handpicked by Aretha Franklin. And she's, her American Idol audition, the reason Jennifer Hudson is famous, her audition was Share Your Love With Me by Aretha Franklin. That's awesome. And it's a fascinating thing. I mean, think about 16 years later, she's playing her in a film handpicked by Aretha Franklin herself. I mean, that is one of the coolest journeys I've heard uh, so, in terms of just like breaking out in Hollywood. What an amazing story. A ton of movies that we recommend. 
this year, uh, this week. Yeah. Free Guy and Coda and Respect and um, I even recommend Don't Breathe too. So get to the theaters. Uh, blend game. We are playing uh, in honor of Free Guy. Ryan Reynolds. Hashtag <laughs> Ryan Reynolds blend. And uh, Gabe, you never get to play these games, so why don't you kick us off? Sure, I'll go quick. For me, uh, people who have have seen me film before, I'm a big, uh, I go with nostalgia is usually my route to these. Um, And so the the film that I'm picking, I don't know when the last time I saw it. It's been years, and I've maybe only seen it two or three times, three or four times. Um, But because it establishes the sort of sense of humor of Ryan Reynolds... Um, and for me, I, I love Ryan Reynolds and mostly because I was at such a perfect age when he started becoming pretty prominent that his sense of humor is just a big, has a big print thumbprint on my sense of humor um, and my, the kind of comedy I like or jokes I make or this, that, and the other comes from his perspective. You're um, going to love Free Guy. Yeah, I'm excited. I, I watch anything he's in because I know he's going to make it fun. Yeah. And even if it's, and he's good, he's a good action star too. So even mm-hmm. some of his stuff that's not necessarily funny, um, I pretty much enjoy his stuff across the board, but I'm putting uh, I'm putting down Van Wilder um, <laughs> as, as my as my pick because I think that there may, maybe there's something before that. But to I me, I thought you that, were going to go Just Friends when you said nostalgia. I thought you were going Just, just Friends. Friends is, is a huge one as well. I watched yeah, yeah. over and over again. But but between Van Wilder and like waiting, that just sort of established <laughs> this like this is the comedian that Ryan Reynolds is, and pretty mm-hmm. much everything since in a great way. Everything since has sort of been. Let's. He has such a he has such a specific sense of humor and such a well executed sense of humor that it feels like every project since then they always go. How do we make these jokes better for Ryan? How do yes. we make this funnier so that he can deliver it? And whether that's him pushing for that or just smart people letting him run with it, um, to me the Van Wilder sort of established as a fan for me his sense of humor moving forward and why I was I've been such a fan. Um, I couldn't tell you the last time I saw it. I should maybe rewatch it, but but it's a good time. <laughs> yeah, where there's going? a really real that Van Wilder is one of my favorite bathroom blend. Uh, oh, you discussed this. You discussed this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. There's a that. moment. Oh my god, Tara Reid puts this like laxative in her boyfriend's um, shake, his protein shake, before he has a big test the next day and <laughs> or that day, and then he's sitting there taking the test and fills all the answers in and tries to run to the bathroom but doesn't make it. Ends up. <laughs> finding a uh, trash can <laughs> which is really it's it's, it's amazing um i mean i went just friends and yeah. I, I think if we were doing best i would have gone deadpool sure but just friends well just friends changed my life actually i mean like that movie is the reason why i'm here with you oh, guys that was right your now. first I mean, review I, wasn't it yeah it was the first film i ever reviewed That's I, awesome. I um it was 2000 six or five i think it was at that point 2005 i think it was the year no, like november 18th 2005, 2005 is the day i reviewed that film so yes, it is. had to be 2005 yeah i'll never forget it november 18th 2005 so i was at george mason university and they were doing a word of mouth screening and there's a cinema in that theater in in, in at george mason university in a, in a place called the johnson center if anybody listening to this is in the uh, dc area i went to college there and they had a cinema in the in the basement of this building called the johnson center which is where all the food and everything was um so they did this word of mouth screening i got my hand on a ticket and i was like i'm gonna go to this and i was an intern at the radio station uh and the internship was happening through george mason university and one day there was a uh there's a radio show there called the sports junkies and they had a mr movie phone was calling in to do movie reviews for them i'm like oh i would love to do movie reviews for a living could you imagine how cool that would be 
And I somehow got my hands on a ticket to see Just Friends at, at George Mason. And I used that as my way to go on their show to review a film for them. And I loved Just Friends. Like, you know, the, uh, the all for one, I swear moment with the braces. And the, it's just iconic, um, that film. And so, but for me, it was personally a big deal because I saw it and then I reviewed it and the junkies let me stay on their show. And now I'm doing what I'm doing now with you guys. And, but so that film That's has awesome. a special place in my career. On top of that, you know, it's just a really funny film. Like, it's, it's, it's extremely clever. Ryan Reynolds is amazing in it. Um, Amy Smart, who I used to love, obviously, from Road Trip. Uh, she's amazing in the film. Chris Klein uh, from uh, American Pie, really yeah, funny yeah. in the movie as well. It, it, it's, 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 you know, and Anna Ferris. I mean, Anna Ferris, I was rewatching a scary movie the other day. Anna she, Ferris was one of the funniest. She still is, but, she, but at yeah. that time, that 90s yeah. Anna Ferris. Yep. She, there was uh, no like, one like, like her. Like, there was no one like her. No. Yeah. No, and ju- just friends was you know aside from the personal reason why that film I love that film I love that film in general it's a, it's my one of my favorite Christmas movies ever it's such a great Christmas film uh, and it's just really funny and heartwarming and it deals a lot with bullying and high school and how we are in high school and who we become later in life um, and it was just an interesting idea of this just friend zone which is something we all can relate to uh, and you know to me it just works and you know I think Reynolds that's one of my favorite movies ever and it's also my favorite Ryan Reynolds movie just period Very nice um before i go i want to shout out just like a couple of things that build up to him because my my pick is deadpool 2 um and i'll totally tell you good. why great yeah pick. um i think that ryan reynolds automatically just gets associated with deadpool now but like i'm so glad you guys picked non-deadpool movies because he's been in so many great things aside from this um his cameo in harold and kumar it is one of the funniest <laughs> things i've yeah, ever yeah, seen yeah. in my entire life it is really good it is screamingly funny uh, he did a couple of movies in 2008 and 2009 that I think showed his his other side, where he's breaking away from being the sarcastic guy. He played a, a dad in Definitely Maybe, which is actually a Definitely really... Definitely Maybe is great. Like it is. That, like, that is... And then, uh, yeah, Definitely Maybe, and then The Proposal. The Proposal is really good, too, but I was going with yeah. Adventureland. He played a, a um, oh. person working in the park in Adventureland. These are all great, great performances by him that are not traditional Ryan Reynolds films. Yeah. But... Um, I think when we, you know, this is the the morbid way to say it, but like you talk about when you write someone's obituary, what's going to be in the first couple of sentences, like Ryan Reynolds star of Deadpool franchise is going to be, you know, that's what he'll be associated with forever. And I just like Deadpool two more than the first movie. Uh, maybe that's unusual, but the I, don't first... I don't think so. I think the second one, the first one felt like such a, um, it had such like an indie vibe to it. Like they were making it for such little money and they were like really exactly. pushing for it yes. that Deadpool 2 they really got to bring out all the guns yes. literally and figuratively that's how I, I feel guess. I feel like that was that was the movie they made I with the vote Deadpool of confidence too. yes and it is just joke after joke after joke after joke like it is hysterical <laughs> it's hysterical and so Roland is so good in that oh He's my great. god everyone's great in it Julian Dennison's really really funny the juggernaut surprise was unbelievably great um, it's just all of it's so funny. Um, so I, I went with, I know that Deadpool is my favorite role of his and I went with Deadpool too, because that is the talk better about, one. So yeah, it's funny. We talk about, um, 
uh, Jennifer Hudson being born to play Aretha Franklin. I mean, Ryan Reynolds was born to play Deadpool. He like was. that's like there's not really a comedic yeah. action star actor that can do that tone, which is very much the tone of the comics. Like it's like it's it feels and we like all he was born to play that. Very, you know, we lump a lot of praise and rightfully so on Hugh Jackman and his interpretation of Wolverine. Sure, but I'd almost argue that Reynolds is his interpretation of Deadpool is right there. Like they're right online. Hundred percent. Yeah. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Those two were like two of the most perfect casting moments ever. Like, in just in terms of in general, not and just. It'll never films. happen. Like, but I like for for so many meta reasons. I I really wish they got to do a movie together. You know, because know. they're constantly jabbing at each other in public, and I just think. Oh, that I could they... see them doing a movie together. Maybe not as Wolverine and Deadpool. Oh, but, okay. But I, I could see them doing something. Oh, please, I hope they do something. Who together. wouldn't show up for that? Oh my God! Yeah, I know. Speak. All of us would. Um, okay, so yeah, Cam McKinney. Coincidences, uh, throw it a, yeah. we, we have Jake's answer we have to get to before we oh, get to audience space. Oh, God, why do we have to throw it to Jake Hamilton? So Jake <laughs> is, let me explain where he is. Jake is in Iowa right now, and he is covering, uh, Major League Baseball is doing a game between the White Sox and the Yankees, I believe. Sure. And mm-hmm. it's at the Field of Dreams uh, Cornfield Baseball Stadium. And so Jake uh, lied to his producers, essentially, and said, I, it's important for me to be there. <laughs> they made a movie about this place. <laughs> yes. And uh, finagled his way into this assignment. So he's out there enjoying uh, covering a baseball game. And um, he made a pick. So here's Jake Hamilton with his Ryan Reynolds pick. Hey, what's up, boys? Sorry I was not able to be a part of the show this week. As you can tell, I'm here in heaven, a.k.a. Dyersville, Iowa, at the iconic Field of Dreams. Uh, but I had to contribute to this week's Real Blend game. Ryan Reynolds' blend, easy pick for me. It's uh, the first Deadpool. I mean, just I associate him and that character so much. I don't think anyone could have brought him to life like he does. It's a perfect blend of a performance. It's a perfect blend of uh, a, a character and an actor going well, to, well together. It's a perfect blend of an actor knowing a character so well that he's able to sort of inhabit him in a three-dimensional way where you see the performance and you think there's almost quite literally no one else who could have ever done that. Uh, it's a brilliant performance on his part. He absolutely matches it. And it's a movie that not only was made better by him being in it, I'm not sure it has any reason to exist if he didn't. So, miss you guys, love you guys, I'll see you next week. Uh, in addition to Jake's pick, uh, we had Cam McKinney, who went with Mississippi Grind. Harry Lichtman, John Palmer, and many others said Deadpool. Christian went with Life. Jackson said The Proposal. And I saw a bunch of people put Buried on there as well, too, which is, a, yeah. again... Oh. Yeah. Buried is legit. Like, that. This, <laughs> yeah. the entire film takes place in the coffin, right? Yes. It's like a quick 90 minutes, but damn, is it effective? Um, uh, This is such a random side note, Um, but I I just because my I genuinely do have ADD. So my brain does go all over the place. Um, What's an underrated film is nothing to do with Ryan Reynolds, but buried reminded me of is Locke. Did you ever see Locke with Tom Hardy? He's in the car car the whole movie. Yeah. I love that film. I don't know why that hit my mind when you mentioned Barry, but I was thinking about actors in in, in I love I spaces. love single yeah. location tight single yeah. location films. It's mm-hmm. such there's so much creative stuff that people do with those kind of movies. But Kev, yeah. do you know Locke is amazing? Do you know Ryan Reynolds' favorite Tom Cruise movie though? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so excited about this. Wait, hold on. His favorite 
Tom Cruise movie? Is it? Can you give me a hint? Is it recent or or, or early on? Um, it's no, it's it's uh, like mid mid career for Cruise for Cruise, not recent. Okay, but Reynolds, I I know every time I talk to him, he always brings up how much he loves this Tom Cruise movie. Like, he, every he time loves this Tom, he mentions it every, every single time. time. Every time we talk, he mentions it. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know, Sean. Do you mind giving me the answer? It's a uh, buried McGuire. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> that's good Barry McGuire that's pretty uh, damn good thank you now, very much I, 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 want, I want to know I want to know how you got there like how did you get to that joke like here's, from, here's just from buried here's how I do it yeah if, if anyone mentions something I'll try to immediately think of what it rhymes with and sure. for some reason Barry rhymed with Jerry what's the big line from buried uh, McGuire um, show me the sh- coffin. Show me the. Co- <laughs> show me the coffin. <laughs> All right. Uh, reviews. You can send us a review at realblend at cinemablend.com. Oh, I didn't mention next week's blend game. Yes. Hashtag Rebecca Hall blend. Uh, Rebecca Hall has a movie coming out called The Night House. She has had a tremendous career up until this point, and we're going to celebrate the films of Rebecca Hall. So play hashtag Rebecca Hall blend on social media or email us at realblendassemblend.com. That is where John Augustine has written us a review for this week's episode, and he writes, Dear Sean, Jake, Kevin, and Gabe, I love listening to the Real Blend podcast. You guys are real film fans. Sometimes hey. I get the sense that a lot of other film critics don't actually like to watch films yes that's that is an unusual bit about people in this uh industry is you you get the impression that they don't kind of like going to movies uh, every week i look forward to when the podcast will be dropping it has become one of the best parts of my week i first discovered the real blend podcast when i was stumbling through youtube and came across sean's snyder videos for cinema blend a big dc snyder fan myself i was really intrigued by these videos and i came away wanting more content like that, and I found Real Blend. I really enjoy how much fun you guys have together every single week. It really makes me laugh and think about the films I'm watching. It's fun to see the hot takes and debates over the films you all love. I recently came across Jake's interviews with the Suicide Squad cast. I thought they were hilarious, and I burst out laughing. Jake asked such great questions. Oh, can we we should have edited this part out. Uh, yeah, I noticed sorry, I forgot. On- <laughs> I noticed on Twitter, uh, he posted about getting angry messages over his interview. I responded to that post just saying that I thought the interviews were great to offer a small token of gratitude over the slew of negativity on the internet. Jake retweeted my response and I couldn't believe it. I thought it was all so cool. I had to take a screenshot so that I could tell everyone that one of the guys on Real Blend retweeted me. That made my day, so thank you. Not only am I entertained, but I always gain new perspective from each of you. Sean, I love the efforts you've made in writing the book about the Snyder Cut and the insights you have. In such a time of people being so divided over fictional characters, it's cool. Fictional characters. (laughs) Yeah, say like Affleck every single time. Uh, It's cool to see a Marvel guy supporting DC. And Kevin, I've learned so much from you about film. Now, every time I watch a movie, I wonder how it was filmed. You also convinced me to watch Tenet. Thanks for all the interesting conversations. Keep doing what you've been doing. All of my best. That's awesome. John Augustine. Thank you, John, so much for taking the time to write that letter to us. And we are it, so glad. Kevin yeah. actually gave me extra work. He made him watch Tenet, and then he sent this email backwards. So I had to go in right. and I had to, I had to reorder all the stuff. <laughs> it's an inverted shot. email. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, our next premium episode. Um, well, it's going to post shortly. It's uh, our favorite Monday. films of the year so far. Yeah. yeah, Monday. Monday is when you can get the premium. So remember to go to realblend.com backslash. No, cinemablend.com backslash realblendpremium. Let me do that again. 
cinemablend.com backslash realblendpremium, uh, and you can figure out how to sign up for our premium service, which gets you ad-free listening, uh, two newsletters, uh, including one coming this week, and um, and the shows that drop on Monday. So in between, follow us on social media, because we do places, we do things like the weekly poll. Uh, we are constantly commenting on things that happened in the world of film. And so in between each of the episodes you're listening to, you're going to want to keep up to date with what we're doing. Uh, at Jake's Takes, you'll probably find some pictures from his Field of Dreams trip. At Kevin McCarthy TV, you'll probably see some political commentary. Uh, at Sean underscore O'Connell, <laughs> you'll see Snyder Cut people yelling at me. Uh, at For Gabe sure. Kovach. Gabe, what do you put on your social media? I should tweet more. I'll be tweeting along with uh, our watch party viewing of uh, Razor the Lost Ark. That's a good plug. Uh, Monday, August 30th. And yes. then the show, of course, is at Real Blends. Make sure you give it a follow and then hit subscribe on the YouTube channel. So until next week. QB! wrong show. QB! Oh, that's, it's show. a Spielberg one? It's wrong a Spielberg show. one? Minority Report. Wait, we did the Adventures oh, of Tintin. <laughs> At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.